goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. All right. You I love my passion for life. That's the whole that's podcast. That's you did it. Now, hey, everybody. I'm Latara. Hi, I'm Laura. And this is Passions, Passions podcast. podcast. Welcome back to our podcast where we talk about the wonderful and underrated soap opera, Gone Too Soon, Passions. Yeah, a soap opera that only lasted 10 years. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. And it seems like it had a big following. Like, people love this show. I will say it really went off the rails. Oh, okay. Uh, you think it's off the rails now, but... <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> Just you wait, Henry Higgins. I will say it really goes off the rails, and I think I was one of the few people, like, that held on to the end. Yeah. Because I have no taste. <laughs> no, you have taste, but you you are like a dedicated viewer. Whenever you start something, you almost always finish it. That's true. That is true. I usually bail from shows like two or three seasons in when they start getting shitty. I'm like, well, I'm done. I mean, like if I've put in two or three seasons worth, I've put in so much time. Yeah. So why give it any more? That's true. I guess. <laughs> I guess that's true. But it's like, I want to finish it, but... Yeah, so today we're talking about episodes 101 through 105 of Passions. We're in season two. This is officially the beginning of season, season two, two of Passions, and therefore season two of Passions Podcast. That's right. We're in season two of Passions Podcast. And we get to kick it off with a really exciting day because it's my co-host's birthday today. Yep, it's my birthday. Happy birthday, Latara. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure all of our wis- our, our, wisners, our, our wisners, all of our listeners, will will join me in wishing you a very happy birthday. Oh, thank you. You're all. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about passions, huh? Let's do this. Shall we start with Whitney and Chad? Yeah, this story has become so isolated from everything else mm-hmm. that it's its own little world. Yeah, absolutely. It they were. I forgot about them like the last two episodes of this week because they just weren't in it. Mm -hmm. And usually they kind of weave in and out. Whitney, Whitney especially will weave in and out of things, but they, they had their own fucking things going on this week. It was like a different show. They were like, they basically were on ER and everyone else was in passions. Yeah, very (laughs) true. So let's talk about it. What's going on. All right. Well, Orville just got hit by a car. There was a hit and run. Remember, uh, Whitney and Chad stuck around to to see what was going on with Orville, get some information about what he knows about baby Chad Harris. And Orville bolted, ran out of the door, and they did. Did they see the accident happen, or they just they heard, heard it. it? Oh yeah, they probably didn't have the budget to show us a car wreck. <laughs> and uh, Orville had been hit by a car, but that we're way too close to Chad getting answers for or- Orville to die here. Yeah, so he's laying there, and they think he's dead. Right. And Chad is pleading with him to stay alive. But Whitney's like, I think he's gone because she's such a naysayer. She wants Orville to die. She just doesn't (laughs) want to spend more time with Chad. Yeah. And and if Orville lives, she's going to have to. And Chad is like pleading with him like, you have to stay alive. I have to find out about my past. You're the only clue I have. I feel so bad for Chad. I do. I really do. So Chad worries that he'll never know about his past. And um, Simone runs into this scene. She shows up. She must have finished that test. Yep. I was just about to say she finished that math she test. She finished or whatever that it was. biology test. I don't know. Something. But School. she finishes it. She comes up to the scene of the crime and immediately is like, someone did this on purpose. Yeah. They're doing, they're doing this to keep you from finding out about your past. They'll do anything. They'll murder an old man. <laughs> they don't care. Absolutely. But Whitney, of course, is completely skeptical of Simone's theory that this is all a conspiracy. 
But Chad is like intrigued. He's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I think Whitney doesn't want to give any credence to this, but I do think there's a part of her that's like, hmm, maybe there is something fishy going on here. Yeah. I don't know. And Simone is like putting all of these different clues together and she's like, look, it all adds up. And, but Whitney questions like, but why would someone go to these lengths to keep Chad a nobody from knowing about their past? Which is a great question to ask because why, why would anyone do this? That's the, that's the question that we need to answer first before we get to the, who is Chad or maybe one will lead to the other. Yeah. So the ambulance comes, they go to the hospital. Um, at the hospital, Eve has been assigned to Orville's case. Of course she has. <sighs> uh, she, I wrote, I don't remember exactly why I wrote this, but I said, Eve had some car troubles, but arrives at the hospital ready to save lives. <laughs> Is that a thing that happened? Yeah, she got there late or something. Oh, yeah, she said, oh, I had trouble with my car. That's why I'm late. Something yeah, like that. I don't know. They, why I, why I, make her late? Why can't she just be on time for work? Because it was had no bearing on the story. It was interesting because I think there was a couple other times this week where I was like, why would they give us this detail? Yeah. And they don't ever give us details about anything else. But now you're giving us these minute details about things that don't matter. Right. Later on, and we'll talk about it, but there's like, a part where Ethan gives Teresa some hot cocoa and he like explains how he could still make hot cocoa, even though the power's out. It's just like, who cares? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why do we, why, why do we care about this? Yeah. Okay. So, So, but I I don't know. So here, here's Eve and, uh, (laughs) the kids have now Simone, Whitney and Chad arrived at the hospital with Orville. I guess they came in the ambulance with him. And Eve can te- can see all the kids uh, together and is clearly unhappy because she has told her girls repeatedly, do not spend any time with Chad. We don't know him. I don't trust him. I don't like that street kid. I don't like that street kid. She is super rude to Chad when he when they come in. He's frantic. She's like he's like, you gotta save him, Doctor Doctor Russell. And she's like, I know what I'm doing. Thank you. Like. She's so rude to him. She blows him off. I mean, he's a child who is experiencing something very traumatic. I mean, they have happened upon, not happened upon, but they are trying to save this old man's life who might have some information about who he is really, you know, but she's real mean to him. Yeah, she does not like Chad. And then um, Eve is mad at the kids, at her kids. Yes, she is. Yeah. And Whitney is obviously worried about the repercussions of this, but Simone doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, I'm with some I'm with Simone one hundred percent. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm a Simone. I, I'm with her too, and she pulls Whitney aside and defends Chad and defends their actions. And uh I liked it. Yeah. Well, cause Whitney's so worried about Eve being mad at them and for being around Chad, and Simone says, Yeah, but Chad needs someone. He doesn't have anybody. You know, and he doesn't know who he is. He's going through something like I'm, it, being there for Chad is the right thing to do. Absolutely. So I'm with Simone. Yeah. Always. Not always, but I'm with her now. With her now. <laughs> so as as the scene at the hospital, you know, progresses, Eve finally gets to see her patient and they recognize each other. They know each other by name. Eve leans over Orville and says to him, Orville, after all these years, 
you've come back into my life. Mm-hmm. She knows this man. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. And Chad comes over while Eve is examining Orville and asks her if she knows him because he says she looked at him like she knew him. And Eve says no. And she's really defensive of, really defensive about it. She's like, I don't know this man. No. Okay. Like you just called him by his first name. You obviously know who this man yeah. is. Well, like- well. Um, and then... Eve makes her way across the emergency room oh, to yeah. give her girls like a talking to in the middle of this man dying. Instead of stabilizing her patient, she goes to scold her daughters. Yeah. Like, what the hell? They're like, okay, nurses, do your best. I got, give me 10. <laughs> oh, and then while she's talking to these girls, she goes, I told you to stay away from Chad. I'm very disappointed in you, Whitney, specifically Whitney. Simone even gets left out of the scolding Mm, that's a good point you know she Mm. even gets left out of that it's like i'm disappointed in you whitney but i expected this from simone you know i think she she's kind of brought whitney to heal and knows that whitney will help keep simone in line or at least will try to so that eve doesn't have to spend so much time you know paying attention to her daughter it's really it's really kind of unfair for both, for both of the girls. Yeah. It's unfair. The pressure that's been put on Whitney is unfair. And how she's kind of like a parentified child to her sister because her own parents are not taking care of her sister. Yeah. It's really, the more we get into it, the worse I feel for, for both of them. Mm, yeah, for sure. So Simone is trying to explain to Eve what was going on, but Eve is like just not having it. She's not, she's not listening. She doesn't care. And she... I, seems that she doesn't want them to get to the bottom of what's going on with Chad. Oh, no. She is very obviously intentionally keeping them apart because she knows that if they find out information, she's going to be in trouble. You know, so now the question is how is how is Chad related to Eve? And I don't mean like familiarly, but in like what is their relationship? What's the connection? What's the connection? Because that it ha- because it, she's involved. It's very For obvious. Sure. Yeah. 100% she's yeah. involved. Oh my gosh, Eve. So just then Eve gets notified that Orville is like coming too. And she tells everyone to stay back while she examines him. And Orville wakes up and immediately recognizes Eve. And she asks him, she goes, what have you been telling these kids? And Orville replies, you really are afraid of me, aren't you, Eve? And then Chad overhears Orville say to Eve, you remember me, don't you, Eve? Like he hears the old man call Eve by her name and he confronts her about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you want to tell me what's going on? Yeah, he says, I thought you said you didn't know him. And Dr. Russell, Eve, says, "Um, this old guy's delirious. He doesn't know what's going on. You you know, he must have overheard someone else say my name. Like, stop jumping to conclusions. Like, come on. Yeah. And then and then Chad presses her further. And he's like, are you sure you've never seen him before? And Eve very defensively is like, I told you no. Now get back. Yeah. Get away. This shit was crazy. It was. It's about to get crazier. Yeah. Because Orville then spots Chad talking to Eve and is like, oh, it's you, which causes Eve to panic. And Mm -hmm. she does something unconscionable. Well, she quickly rushes everyone out. She gets everyone out and grabs a needle 
Now, Orville thinks she's going to kill him, but surely she's just sedating him to shut him up. That's but sedating a patient for no reason other than you want them to stop talking mm-hmm. is so, so messed up. Mm-hmm. Yep. She grabs that needle and he's begging her, don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And uh, <laughs> I was like, Eve, what are you up to? And she says, it's for the best. And then she sedates him, presumably, with, yeah. you know, through his IV. Um, well, meanwhile, out in the waiting room, Whitney blames Simone for their mother being angry with them. But Simone, again, is not worried. She's not nearly as worried about their mom as Whitney is. And Simone's really just worried about Chad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whitney's like, stop looking for trouble and stop pulling me into your schemes. Yeah. Well, and then Whitney fills Simone in on all the, this was funny. Yeah. On like the whole Chad birthmark situation and the, him having it on his butt. (laughs) And they just have a really silly moment about Chad's butt. I love it. (laughs) Simone was, Simone wants to know what his butt looks like. And I'm like, how do you describe a butt? She's like, what did it look like? (laughs) And she was like, so it was, there's so much lust in her voice. She was so excited. Who's that into like man buns? Nobody. Is anyone that into man buns? I don't think so. Yeah. No. It, it looked like a tush. The end. I don't know. I thought it butt. was funny. Also, I'm more concerned about what the birthmark on his booty looks like yeah. than his actual booty. Yeah. Like, that's the important piece of information. Yeah. Um. So they're in the waiting room and Chad is waiting for Eve, like right outside of the ER doors. And when she comes through the doors, he stops her, but she like tries to blow him off. He stops her and he's like, is Orville okay? Can I talk to him? And... Eve refuses. She's like, and she says this quote, my patient must be kept quiet. That's such a weird choice of words. That's (laughs) what a crazy choice of words. My patient must be kept quiet. Yeah. That's like a a Freudian slip or something where it's kind of like with Ethan, where he's saying things to Teresa that can be misinterpreted because that's what he really means. Yeah. You know, this is what Eve is doing where she's like, I need to keep this man quiet. And she says as much and just tries to couch it in terms of I'm a doctor and it's for his comfort or something. That's not what it is. Yeah. And, um, Chad begs her. Did, did he say anything about my past? Like what did the old guy say before, before you medicated him, before you sedated him? Uh, and Eve won't give anything up. And so the next time, the next thing we cut to is Eve continuing to over-medicate this man. She just keeps adding more and more juice to his, to his IV drip. Yeah. Well, Chad walks away and then a nurse walks up to Eve and says, Orville's asking for the young man is asking for Chad. Mm. But she just tells the nurse to prepare something. She says, prepare another needle. I think she says, or yeah. um, hyper. I think she says hypodermic, which means needle. Needle, hypodermic needle. Um. So yeah, she goes back inside and she's at Orville's bedside, and a nurse suggests because Orville's like rambling, saying things, and she's like, "Why don't we give him a pen and a piece of paper so he can write down what he wants to say?" But Eve says to the nurse, "She's like, he's just confused and babbling," and then she is like filling up her needle like Nurse Ratchet, <laughs> and. And the another nurse says, like, are you sure about that dosage? And Eve dismisses her and says, like, I know what I'm doing, nurse. Yeah, the nurses are questioning her methods because she is, like, being overtly 
uh, bad at her job. Yeah. You know, like the nurses know. The nurses know what a, what a correct dosage should look like Absolutely. and how a patient should be treated. Like just because they don't have the same uh, degree doesn't mean they don't know they absolutely what know. it's supposed to look like in that room. Yeah. You know? And as she's giving him that next dosage, Orville says, I don't want to die. I've got a secret to tell. And we want to know what that secret I is. I want to know, but that's where we leave them this That's week. where we leave them. So we're on a cliffhanger, but at least... But it's a, a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a cliffhanger, but we've got a lot of information along the way, which I enjoy. Yeah. Man, oh man. So I think uh, next we should take a trip to New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> this trip to New Mexico. I feel like I changed my mind about going to New Mexico just based on having watched this. No more Santa Fe. If, if, this, is, if this show is actually indicative of what awaits me in Santa Fe, I think I'll pass. <laughs> this was the most ridiculous trip I've ever this trip was so ridiculous and it's not over so let's get into it okay let's oh lord let's get into this so we actually have to go uh we have to start in harmony where Sheridan is on the runway getting ready to fly her plane to New Mexico to check on the Martin story when Luis pops in is like you can't do this without me yeah I'm going with you whether you like it or not well first he says (laughs) you are not going to New Mexico damn it And she's like, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, she said, I can do what I like and you can't stop me. Yep. Direct quote. Yep. Um, and she says, get off or I'll throw you off. And and he's like, I'd like to see you try. Ho, ho, ho. And then he climbs into the co-pilot seat and like, he's like, I guess I'm just going to go with you. This man, Luis. And Sheridan rightly is like, if you don't get off this plane, then I will have you arrested. You are not allowed. This is my private property. Like you can't, you can't be here right now. And Luis straight up laughs in her face. Mm -hmm. He's like, "Mm, I'm coming along for this ride. And yeah. And he's like, no cop around here is going to arrest me. In fact, I know the air traffic controller is a buddy of mine. And if I tell him to ground you, he'll fucking ground you and you won't be going anywhere. Right. Oh, Luis, what a bad way to use your power. Right. Yeah, I mean, if he can find an excuse to argue with Sheridan and and kind of best Sheridan, he's going to do that. And this is one of those times. Yeah. So they they go back and forth a lot about Sheridan's motives. What is this all about, really? And Louise finally is like, yeah, I'm going to go with you. And she's like, no, you can't. And he he finally says to her, this is getting weird, Sheridan. And I agree. Yeah. getting weird Sheridan really weird Sheridan what are you up to you know and he says you seem to have your own reasons for going there you know and they again just do the same thing but neither of them are gonna budge so fire up the jets we're going to New Mexico together Together. (laughs) (laughs) fire up the jets they're headed to New Mexico yeah so there we have it Sheridan uh, concedes to flying together to New Mexico and she does insist that while they're in the air, she is the boss. Yeah, of course. So that's something, at least. Yeah. Um, so as they're, as they're flying on this journey, they, they go back and forth a little bit more. Um, you know, Louise says some shitty things to Sheridan about being rich and about being beautiful, so her life must be easy. You got a free ride, all this stuff. And Sheridan, of course, has a little bit of a flashback. Oh, it was so sad. Oh, it was so sad. He's yeah. like, you had a free ride. And then she has a flashback to Christmas as a little girl where she's walking around asking herself, 
Why doesn't anybody love me? Yeah. Why doesn't anybody love me? Yeah. Oh, so sad. It really was. Poor and, Cher. And she doesn't really have the fight in her to like to go back and forth with him on this. So no. she just lets a sleeping dog lie. Also, she's flying a plane. Also, she's flying a plane. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, in the co-pilot seat, Luis is kind of musing about what they might find. He's like talking about the social security number that uh, someone's working under in New Mexico. He's wondering if someone is using that because they know the person is dead. And maybe that person knows that his, that Martin was possibly murdered and this causes Sheridan to kind of figuratively and literally spin out. She starts having this like daydream nightmare thing. And we we get to see inside of Sheridan's head, which is like a black and white film noir. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that we get to see what's going on inside of her mind. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I wrote, get a grip, girl. You're flying a goddamn That's plane. That's what I was like. Oh, 20,000 feet in the air. Because the plane starts like going a little haywire because she's so distracted. Yeah, and so she's flying this plane. She's letting her mind just go wild, and to the point that she unknowingly yells out, Martin Fitzgerald. (laughs) She, like, says his name out Out loud. loud. And it wakes up Louise, who is, like, taking a nap, which we've seen how Sheridan drives. (laughs) See, this this was one of my issues with this. I can't believe that Luis Lopez Fitzgerald would get on an airplane with Sheridan as the pilot. And, like, he had no problems with it. I guess the drive to solve Martin's mystery is greater than his worry of Sheridan as a pilot. Yeah. Hopefully she's better in air than she is on asphalt. So she's, her mind is, like, going wild. She's yelling Martin Fitzgerald. He calls her name repeatedly Mm. to try to snap her out of it. Mm -hmm. And she finally kind of snaps out of it. Like, I would buy a plane ticket back home. I would not be getting back on it. If, if, if we made it to New Mexico safely, I would fly commercial home. Yeah. I, like, I, no, this girl is out of her mind. Also, how they many- They hit, like, turbulence while she's fucking losing her mind. And how many wealthy, rich, famous people need to die in these little two-seater planes- and four seater planes before people stop taking those planes. Like yeah. it's so it's so the number of people who have crashed and died, it's astonishing. Yeah. It's sad. It really is. But he, you know he's gonna get on that plane with her home. Yeah. But the funny part of this is when they do land, he turns to her and says, You fly a plane a heck of a lot better than you drive a car. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's true. Uh, yeah. There's just less planes in the yeah. air than there are cars it's in the just, road. There's nothing to hit in the air. <laughs> that's all it is. Maybe an odd goose here or there. Yeah. She um they yeah, they get to New Mexico. Oh my god. Once they get to New Mexico, like this really just turned into quite a cartoon. It was so ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. Anyway, this whole time, one thing that I found funny was that Sheridan keeps calling herself a possible murderess. Yeah, yeah, a murderess <laughs> instead of a murderer. A murderess. Yeah, I don't know. It's just funny. It's not a, a word that I'm that you I've really. To. I've really heard. It's not really in my lexicon or use. Yeah, murderess. Murderess. You're just, you're just a fucking murderer. Yeah. All Do right. we, we? It's not like a thief and a thiefess. I'm also. I'm also. So, I'm also so annoyed. That her answer to Martin's disappearance is so binary, right? Like either 
either he's alive and I didn't murder him or he's dead and I definitely murdered him. What? It's what? Yeah, it's a false binary. Like there are w- many more options than that, but I think she it's it just is all consuming to her, you know. And she she I think she knows in her gut that she is somehow involved in this, that she saw something she wasn't supposed to see and she was put away because she's because she's at fault for it. And so she's kind of that's what's driving her, you know. Yeah. So they land in New Mexico. They bicker, 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 as they tend to do, as they are wont to do. Yeah. And um, then they finally head off to the place where the man using Martin's social security number works, which is Lender Industries. So they go to this Lender Industries and the place is closed. Well, it's late. It was, com- oh, we have to talk about this. Um, The entire time that Sheridan and Luis were in the cockpit, it was dark. Before they took off, mm-hmm. while they were in the air, when they landed, there was not a star in the sky. There were no city lights, but there were no headlights. There was nothing. There was nothing. It was pitch black. So, yes. Yeah, so they get to Leonard Industries and it's late at night. <laughs> the auto shop is closed. Yeah. Well, they discover that it's an auto body and wrecking and towing company. And then Luis is like, hmm, that's interesting. My dad used to always work on cars a lot. And I always used to see him working on cars when I was a kid. So it's looking like this guy who works here could be my father. Yeah, he used to work on cars as a way to make money outside of uh, working at Crane Industries. Oh, child. So they, Lender Industries is closed. So they decide to stay overnight. Now, this is where things really take a turn. They decide to stay overnight, so they go to this hotel to get a room, and at the front desk, the front desk person tells them, oh, the manager isn't here, and he's the only person who can book rooms. The fuck? So, Latara, uh, you've spent a a lot of time working in the hotel industry, Mm -hmm. in hospitality. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me your experience? I can tell you it ain't that. (laughs) (laughs) I worked at one hotel where I never even saw my manager. She just was never at work. And were you allowed to check people into rooms and book rooms for them? Absolutely. Yeah, Because that's literally your whole job. Of course. At the front desk of a hotel. Duh. That was crazy. I was like, what is this? So the front, and also, what is he standing there for then? If you can't help anybody, why are you here? Right. Why? Great question. Why are you standing behind the front desk? So then he's like, oh, well, there's a restaurant. You can have dinner. There's a couple celebrating their, like, 50th wedding anniversary or something. (laughs) And so they go to this fucking Mexican restaurant. I think it was the 30th wedding anniversary. Okay. Not that that matters. (laughs) It was one of those details that they gave me. (laughs) Yeah. That weren't, that wasn't useful. A completely unhelpful information. Child, they go to this restaurant. Oh, my God. This was so stupid so they go to this restaurant and uh at dinner there's a they're talking about this family and she's looking at this family who's celebrating this anniversary and she's like oh it looks so warm and they're having such a good time and louise is like well they're a latin family so that's how latin families celebrate what i have a question Mm -hmm. in the like late 90s early 2000s was that considered politically correct to call any any Hispanic Latinx person Latin? Was that like the equivalent of calling like people African American? Like are people trying to be too careful? Like I I don't you know? know because it's not like Mexican is a bad word. Right. It's not like it's, it's a, not like it's, it's like a fucking it's slur. Insult. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like 
I don't, I, I was just, I, it's just, I, it's like, what am I trying to say? It feels like everyone was trying to be very careful about how they described ethnicities and cultures and, and, and they, either they were trying to be really careful. And so they, they kind of like got in their own way or, or they just didn't bother doing the work. They just didn't bother doing the work because okay. <laughs> he talks about like being Latin and blah, blah, blah. And then Sheridan's like, but you're half Irish too, right? Your father was Irish. Um, it's funny how they can nail down that he's half Irish and not just white. Yeah, well, Fitzgerald. They got a whole. They got a hold <laughs> Irish. Well, Lopez. You yeah. can't. They can nail down something. Yeah. Because if the thing is, yeah, they can nail, nail down that he's Latin. They can nail down something. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's like, oh, it we is. can. Be, this this is like the first time that's even ever even coming up. Right. 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 And we've had these references to the old country and just Latin. This broad Latin, which means a lot of different things, right? right? You know, right. are we talking European? Are we talking North American? Are we talking Central American? Are we talking South American? There's, a, right. there's a lot. There's a, there's, there's a whole slew of human beings who would, uh, who would fall under the umbrella term of, of Latin. Latin. Yeah. So anyway, oh. <laughs> they, so she, they talk about him being Irish. They can come up with that one. They mm. were able to get that one. Mm. Like, yeah, Irish works. Um, and, uh, <laughs> nothing much comes of that conversation, like the, the Fitzgerald stuff, but Luis does say that from what he remembers about his father, he was a really great guy, which is why he's so bothered by his father's disappearance. They recap some more about how yeah. great Martin was. And then one day he just disappeared. Yeah. But they, they also do start to talk to each other about important things. They talk about the importance of family um, they talk about how L Luis's mother was cheated out of happiness because of his, his father going missing. Like they start to dive into some important things. Yeah. Cause and he is looking at that other family and he's saying, yeah, my mama could have had all of that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, this kind of makes him double down on his desire to figure out what happened to his father. Yeah. And as they're getting ready to like, I guess make a plan or something. The anniversary couple just approaches Luis and Sheridan out of left field. They just show up and start talking to them and ask them to dance with their party. Yeah. And they'd like, come and join us and come and dance with us. And so then Luis and Sheridan get up and join like a clapping circle. They like stand around and they clap while a lady in the middle, dances with a red scarf. I loved how ridiculous this was because Sheridan's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to know this dance. Bitch, you stand in a circle and clap on beat. <laughs> yeah. I guess the hard part is do you clap on two and four or one and three? She is white. I was really <laughs> I was really hoping they would have to do another like tango. I was too. I was hoping they were going to dance together again. I really was hoping for, so yeah, another real dance. Not this. Yeah. Not well, this scarf thing. This lady's in the middle doing her red scarf dance, but the scarf triggers Sheridan. Sheridan. <laughs> yeah, because it's red. It reminds her of blood. <laughs> I mean, poor Sheridan. <laughs> she's really going, going through, through it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, she she's triggered, and so she starts to feel kind of faint. She starts to feel kind of faint, and Louise kind of leads her back to her seat, and he's like, "Are you okay?" And she's like, "It's just because I haven't eaten." Blah blah blah. Then, um. That front desk guy comes by. I guess, I guess. he's also the waiter because <laughs> yeah. they place an order with him. 
Like Sharon's like, oh, I'm faint because I haven't eaten. Luis flags down the waiter who is the front <laughs> desk guy and tries to place an order. I don't know what's happening. Well, and then he's like, has the manager come back yet? And the, the waiter's like, not yet. And he's like, well, when he comes back, let him know that I'm looking for him. Luis Lopez Fitzgerald. And then the waiter's like, your name's Fitzgerald? We've got another Fitzgerald staying here. There he is over there. Again, let me tell you as a person who worked at fucking hotels, there are privacy laws. Of course. Like, I can't just tell you who the fuck is in this hotel, whether you ask, especially without even prompting me. Correct. (laughs) Right? I don't even know who you are, and then I'm just going to point out another person named Fitzgerald just because. Here's a patron who shares your last name. That's crazy. So this other Fitzgerald was sitting at the bar, and Luis jumps to the right to the conclusion that that's his father. <laughs> this this entire exchange was wild. Wild. I it, Luis, the, the maniac in Luis is front and center in this. Oh so my God, yes. He, he walks up and he doesn't say excuse me or hello, sir, or any of that. He just taps him on the shoulder. He just already is invading. He's, he's walking uh, over that physical barrier, taps the guy on the shoulder and says, uh, is your name Fitzgerald? And the guy turns around and says, what's it to you? Which is an appropriate response given on how it, like how he was addressed. And Luis calls him a bastard. You bastard. (laughs) I mean, what? This, this was so, so, so funny. This was so funny. It was ludicrous. The whole thing. And at this point I said, this dude is not your dad. He's too bad an actor. He had delivered a single line. I was like, nope, that guy's not Martin. <laughs> no, He's not God. a good enough actor to be Martin. You know, I had a moment. I want to say I had a moment when I saw this man's back. I was like, maybe it's Alistair. I was oh. really hoping it would be Alistair, who was just there under an assumed name or that something. That would have been kind of great. Yeah, and he turns around, and Luis thinks it's his dad, but it's fucking Sheridan's dad. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome, but no, it didn't. That's not, that's what, not happened. what happened. That's what, not what happened. What did happen, though? Well, what happens is this man does not recognize, recognize Luis because he's never seen Luis before in his fucking life, but Luis yells at him, I'm Luis, damn it. I'm your son. And the man is like, I don't know who you are. I don't know a man named Luis. I've never had any fucking kids. And he says to Sheridan, he says, you better take your friend and go home. It seems like he's had a few too many. But Luis is pissed. <laughs> like Luis, Luis stares this man in the face and says, you don't remember me? It was a long time ago when you ran out on your wife and all of us kids. And he lays into this dude. Now, Martin left. When Luis was what? 15, in high school. 16 and was a high schooler. And it's probably been about 10 years or so. But come on. You spent more than half of your life with this person and you don't remember their face at all. There are no family photos up in the house. Like you wouldn't be able to recognize your father 10 years past. Yeah. That's that's insane. Insane. It's insane. My, my grandma passed away over 15 years ago now. And if I saw her today... I would know her like even with 15 years of aging, I would know her. Of course. Uh, Like, and he was in the house with his father every single day. It's not like his dad was a person who he saw once when he was like 10 and then he left and then he came back when he was 15 and then he left again. No, this man was a fixture in his life for like 16 years. Right. You would fucking know you. Like, I feel 
Luis is so wrong because why don't you even know your own father's face? Right. <laughs> Absolutely right. And also, why are we jumping to the conclusion of this is your father based on his last name alone? Why aren't we why aren't we asking uh, what's your name? Like why aren't we just starting there? I I I I oh. But he, go, he goes on berating this man in front of his wife. His wife like shows up and he's like, she's like, I always thought you might be a two time in skis. <laughs> <laughs> she like, she like starts going in on her husband with Luis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luis and this, and this woman are like ganging up on Fitzgerald. Sheridan is just standing there like, uh, can we ask this man's name? Yeah. But, <laughs> but Luis is just like, you don't have the decency that God gave a snake. Because this man is denying knowing Luis because he doesn't know he Luis. Doesn't know Luis. Luis calls him a low-life coward. I mean, what is happening? What is happening? He says, he talks about Miguel and Teresa, says that you would be proud of them. You would be proud of the children that you walked out on, that you left. Don't you ever think about your family and your wife? No, this And no one will let this man speak. No mm-hmm. one can get a word in edgewise because Luis has has gone off yeah flown off he well he's taking the last like 10 years of aggression and pouring it all on this man that's true yeah for no reason for no reason reason. well finally sheridan's like let me say something and she's and louise tries to stop her and like stay out of this and she's like no like let's give this man a chance she says sir what is your name (laughs) (laughs) and what is your full name and he goes it's francis Xavier Peter Fitzgerald, but my friends call me Peter for short. And Luis, oh, and then Luis is like, well, you got some ID? And the man shows him his social security card. Yeah. You ever shown somebody your social security card when they ask for ID? Only at the DMV when I have to show like six different forms of identification. Yeah. Otherwise, I show them my fucking driver's license. My social security card does not see the light of day. No. And you certainly, you're not supposed to keep it in your wallet. Yeah, you're not supposed to carry that around. That's supposed to be kept in, a, in like a safe. Whatever. So he shows him his social security card. Yeah, and his, his wife like follows him out. He leaves in a huff. He's, she's just like, how was I supposed to know? And I love Pete's final words, which were like, your dad really must be a jerk because his son acts just like him. Like he gets a dig in before he storms off. And like, he tries I get, to. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Luis was like. Way over the line. Mm, yeah. way over the line yeah and so Luis, of course feels guilty because he lost his cool and he acted like a jackass and he's like you know what let's let's uh go back to the business and check out what what we can see if there's anything that we can find fucking why fucking why you already did this so they go back to the four seasons total landscaping It, it looked like that place. It looked exactly like <laughs> it. It's funny because I started watching this before the election results and everything. And then I resumed afterwards and I was like, this is Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Um, I don't remember what article it was. I think it might have been from The Independent. But there, who, or maybe it was The Guardian. Whoever's article it was, I read it like four times. And it was hilarious every single time. I read it four separate times, four <laughs> different days, because it was so fucking funny. It was so funny. I kind of feel like there's one of two scenarios. Either the person working at Four Seasons Total Landscaping, total, all of it, all the landscaping, knew 
that the, surely the Trump campaign was was calling for the hotel and figured it out and just didn't care and like thought it was hilarious that they made this huge error and went ahead with it anyway. Or it was an honest mistake. They had no uh, no idea and booked the president of the United States and his lawyer to speak at their landscaping business. Yep. Which is either way hilarious. Well, and it's not their fault. No, Whoever's on Trump's no. team may- called the wrong place. Absolutely not their fault. That was so dumb. Yeah. Oh, so dumb. Oh, and I love that they like plastered the the wall with as many Trump It's like a garage door. Because it just looked so pe- terrible. They're like, well, we got to make it look better somehow. Oh, anyway. So this set looks exactly like, like the Four Seasons Total Landscape. Yeah. So they go back to Lender Industries, a.k.a. Four Seasons Total Landscape. FSTO. <laughs> oh, so funny. Um. Which is still closed. Of course it is. It's later in the evening than it was. <laughs> and they're like, he's like, oh, they're still closed. Yeah. Yes, it's still closed. Why are you here? Why are we doing this? They're not going to be open until the morning. Why are we doing this? So they go back for no reason. They go back for no reason. Of course, we don't see anything except after they leave, somebody walks up and goes inside of this place and it pans up and the phone rings and it's. A man who says, yep, this is Martin Fitzgerald. So I guess we've met him, but he doesn't look old enough to be Luis's father. I, 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 um, we saw, oh, I mean, we saw him for a brief second and I was like, I really? know what Martin looks like. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I thought that was weird. I was like, this guy looks too young. Whatever. So I guess we've seen Martin. We've met Martin. We've met a Martin. Oh, I, I mean, oh. I don't know. You think we, you think we're meeting Maybe, Martin this early? Oh my God. Oh my God. Is what? it a Martin Jr.? Does he have another family? Or don't tell me, obviously. I'm, I'm not going to. Ooh. Oh, boy. Anyway, okay. Well, I, I guess we have, we've met a Martin Fitzgerald. We've met a, a Martin Fitzgerald. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, boy. So they go back to the hotel. They and this is where things the- get a little steamy. Yeah. They hatch a plan to return in the morning, obviously. And uh, I guess they've picked up some, like, clothes and supplies because they come back with, like, shopping bags. Mm-hmm. And they finally are able to speak with the hotel manager about getting two rooms and they insist on two rooms and the hotel manager is kind of like wink wink right i'll make sure you get two rooms he's like the matrimonial suite's great you're gonna love it the bed is comfortable it even vibrates what the fuck is that a thing a vibrating bed yeah you know you've never seen like um vacation the national lampoons vacation they stay in all those like seedy motels i saw the christmas one but i didn't see the other ones and there's a bunch of different um tv shows and movies that show people at seedy motels where you can put like a quarter in a machine and it makes the bed vibrate and there's an episode of the golden girls where they go (laughs) where they go to this resort that rose booked but in the brochure it looked really nice but it was a dump an absolute dump yeah and so they like try the vibrating bed so they put the money in it and then like a bell rings and somebody comes in and just starts to vibrate the bed with his foot while he sings like yeah no that's a whole thing vibrating beds i mean i'm glad that that's not a thing anymore what a tacky holdover of like the opulence of the 80s and people were like let's find a way to spend money (laughs) yeah like we have so much of it now like we have to find inane ways to spend money, and yeah. this—that's what they came up with. Abs- and water beds. Yeah, and it's like you know what? Let's actually put that money back into people's pockets. How about that? How about like we reinvest in people and like improve our healthcare system and like spend our money on important things? Nah, vibrating beds. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, this hotel manager 
um, personally shows them to their rooms. Like he's like, oh, I'm going to give you this room again. I have never in my life walked someone to a room. Right. And the managers don't definitely don't do that. Right. Yeah. I, okay. All right. I've also never had anyone at a hotel be so pushy about trying to get me to sleep with my boyfriend and stay in the same fucking room. And these two are not even together. Yeah. Well, he, so he like mistakes them for a couple and, but they insist on separate rooms and then he gives them keys. And I was like, he's giving them keys to what I assume is an adjoining room. Correct. You know? Yeah. And, uh, so I was correct about that. And they go into their rooms, they take their showers and then they both at the same time open the adjoining room door. Were they were, thinking it's a closet? Yeah, I was like, were, were we meant to believe that both of these characters thought that that was a closet? What were they going into the closet for? What would be in the closet that they need? Yeah, because they they brought all that stuff in the bags. And if they had put things away, they, they would, would know, know where they put it. They would know that wasn't a closet. Why were they opening those doors? That's a great doors? question. I didn't yeah. even think about that. Yeah. What are you going in the closet for? And all you have on is a towel. What, what are you maybe doing? They're, maybe they're looking for complimentary robes. I, maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't look, know. Look at us having to fill in details. <laughs> having to fill in details. Anyway, these two people open the door at the same time, and are, they are both in their towels, and their beautiful bodies are glistening. <laughs> and Luis, of course, is shirtless, and um, Sheridan has hers up over uh, her boobs, of yeah. course. <laughs> her de- a little bit of décolletage. Yeah, so... They both are like, oh, I thought this was the, sorry, I thought this was the closet. Um, and then what happens? Uh, at this point, um, they close the door and Luis has a flashback about his dad signing him up for baseball camp when he was younger. Yeah. It was, it was, it was weird. It was, it was really out of place. randomly placed. I don't understand why it was there. But uh, in this, in this memory, Luis is worried about money. He's like, do you have enough money to sign me up for baseball camp? Like, I don't want to put strain on the family. So he was conscientious of that as a child. And Martin was like, don't worry about it. I'll find a way to make it happen. And old, older Luis now as an adult is thinking about this and kind of wondering, where did he come up with that money? Yeah. And then Sheridan knocks on the adjoining door. And actually, I want to say something else about the adjoining room doors. Yeah. Those doors are always locked. So because, because people's, who don't want adjoining rooms often are in those rooms and they don't know each other. So each side is always locked. You would have to unlock that door, which would prompt you to understand that this is not a closet. You'd have to unlock the door. Okay. So this, here's my other theory. Sheridan has never stayed in a hotel room this shitty. And Louise has never stayed in a hotel room this nice. (laughs) And so we found like a common ground where neither of these people understand how this, how normal hotel rooms work. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. That's the best I can come up this, with. No, this hotel is fucked up. <laughs> nah, that's what I'm saying. This hotel's fucked up. It's the best I can come up with. I don't, I don't know what to say. They are out of compliance. I, like <laughs> this hotel, this hotel, like what brand is this? It's certainly, it's certainly not Hilton brand. Is it the Sheridan? <laughs> it's the Sheridan. <laughs> it's a dilapidated Sheridan hotel. Anyway, yeah, she knocks on his door to give him a fucking comb. She's like, "Oh, I noticed you hadn't brushed your hair." Okay, Sheridan. And he's like, "Oh, thank you." 
And then, of course, he comes back later under the, and knocks on the door under the pretense of returning the brush. Like, they really are just going back and forth and finding very flimsy excuses to talk to each to other. Talk because to each other. Because they like each other. Yeah. And, yeah. So, these two have a few bo- bonding moments going back and forth to this door. And Luis shares, like, some feelings surrounding his father. And then they finally go to their separate beds and go to sleep. Although Luis is awake. He can't sleep. He's awake on top of the comforter in nothing but his boxers. Of course, I noticed (laughs) that. And then Sheridan's like in bed and she's asleep, but she's having that fucking nightmare. Mm-hmm. She's having her nightmare and she's yelling. But it's I different. did it. It's a different nightmare because in this nightmare, she she is her child self looking at the blood on her hands. But adult Sheridan is now speaking to that child. Mm-hmm. So there's like a, it's like it's evolving a little bit. Yeah. And she in the in this nightmare, she like pulls back the purse, the sheet over the person's face and then we zoom out and see that she's just like writhing going, I did it. I did it. I did it. And And I, I think it's important to say that she pulled back the sheet and she could see who was under it, but the camera blocked our view. We were not able to see if the person under the sheet matched the face of the Martin Fitzgerald. We just saw. Yeah. Linder. Yeah. So she's yelling. I did it. I did it. Luis is awake. So he's like, Sheridan, you okay? Sheridan. And he's like knocking on the adjoining room door And then he breaks it down again because you have to lock the fucking doors. (laughs) He breaks down this door and he runs into her room and he cradles her shirtlessly in his arms. She doesn't wake up. He's just holding her, rocking her. Yeah. It's beautiful. It was beautiful. But that's where we end with them. I wrote, oh, shoeies. 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 That's where we end with them. So that's where we end with them. And that's where we end the first half of today's episode. So enjoy this uh, ad and we'll see you on the other side. And we are back from our break. We're back. Do you remember that movie? Hell yeah. With the dinosaurs. dinosaurs Fuck yeah. The screw eye guy. Laura, there's very few things that you remember from our childhoods that I wouldn't remember. <laughs> I just Unless it's sure. about a book. I wasn't sure if you were like a dinosaur girl. Uh, We're Back is such a good movie. You remember Cats Don't Dance? Cats Don't Dance? Man, we got to watch Cats Don't Dance. Okay, let's watch it. That's, let's, let's, let's not do that the rest of this podcast and let's just go let's watch go, Cats Don't Dance. Let's just go dance. watch Cats Don't Dance. Or go watch Cats Don't Dance, come back and not talk about passions, just talk about Cats Don't Dance. Okay, let's do it. Or Rock-A-Doodle-Doo. Did you ever see Rock-a-doodle-doo that? Rock-A-Doodle-Doo was the shit. Yeah. Well, see, I loved Rock-A-Doodle-Doo. So I think of those three movies like in the same kind of like canon. Mm. They all, because they're not Disney movies. Yeah, but they're still and I and they're animated, but mm-hmm. they're also sort of obscure. Mm. And they all kind of came out around the same time. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? Let's let's talk about passion. I'm Y'all sure, don't care about. Cats I'm sure don't a dance. lot of our listeners remember these movies. You know what? If you remember these movies, talk. You know what? This is it. <laughs> Write into us and tell us about like your favorite childhood movies. Like because everyone knows who's listening that I haven't seen anything. So if there's a movie that you grew up on and like make you the case for why I should now at 32 years old, go back and watch it. Go back and watch Fern Gully. Oh, I did. I, that one scared me. It's terrifying. Yeah. I remember being no, scared of that No, you know, one. that was a whole thing. I, the movies that we were given to watch as children's movies were scary movies. Like all dogs go to heaven starts with a fucking murder. <laughs> it starts with a murder. Period. <laughs> like a, a mob hit. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. The, Charlie goes to heaven because he is murdered. Because he's murdered. 
no. And then the whole movie, they're trying to kill him again. All I remember is that alligator. Let's which make is te- music together. Which is also terrifying. That's all I remember. Let's make sweet music harmony. together. Let's make sweet harmony. Yeah. I loved that. I loved it too. But it was scary. <laughs> Them on that giant alligator. And then I was thinking about, oh my God, are there alligators in the sewers? That was a whole no, thing too. I was scared. Anyway, whatever. Passions. Let's talk about passions. Passion. Let's do the, the thing we're here to do. Yeah, let's get into it. So we're going to talk about the Crane Mansion. What's going on over at the Crane Mansion these days? Oh, what's not going on at the Crane Mansion these days is the question. <sighs> Everything is happening. Julian sets so much into motion. So Julian begins this entire series of episode episodes by giving Teresa the contract that he needs Ethan to sign. And he's gross about it. He, like, kind of hits on her, Mm -hmm. saying, oh, she's smart and beautiful. A deadly combination. And Teresa either doesn't understand that what he's doing is inappropriate or is so used to it because she is smart and beautiful that she just doesn't, you know, doesn't pay any attention to him. Yeah, well, and he's a gross old dude, and I don't think she... I do think there's a naivete to Teresa where she is seeing the best in all people Mm. except Gwen. Like she, (laughs) she really thinks that the cranes are great people. She doesn't know that Julian is fucking awful. That's true. Yeah. She thinks that he's just a, she thinks everybody's as nice as her papa was. She thinks everybody's papa is as nice as her papa. And so she doesn't think anything of it. She thinks he's giving her a genuine compliment and that she's beautiful and smart and doesn't realize that he's just a lech. Yeah. That he's just like coming on to her. Teresa. Yeah. She is sweet, but Julian then, I guess, goes to call Ethan to let him know that Teresa is going to be coming, Uh, but that phone call doesn't go through, so Ethan doesn't know that Teresa's on her way, and uh, Julian doesn't tell Teresa that Ethan doesn't know that she's on her way. Yeah, Ethan Ethan flat out ignores the phone call. He sees Julian calling and doesn't answer. We'll get to that, but that's what happened. Yeah. And yeah, so he, Julian comes back. He doesn't tell, well, he does tell Teresa I couldn't get a hold of him, but he, I think he says he's going to keep trying. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I said that, well, because later on when she gets to the cabin, she has no clue that Ethan doesn't know. Right. Yeah. So there's, so. Well, that's the thing. I think she thinks that Julian got in touch with him then. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure because the, the the last note that I have here is that Julian comes back to the office, gives Teresa the contract, tells Pilar, you got a great girl there, gives Teresa train fare and cab fare, and then says, Ethan's going to be surprised when Teresa shows up at the door. Yeah. And this is a moment when I was like, if I was Pilar, I would probably either go with my daughter. Like it's a, there's going to, it's going to be a snowstorm. Surely they knew a snowstorm was coming in. Mm hmm. I don't know. She she already feels weird about her being alone with Ethan, has said multiple times, like, don't bother them. And I don't know. I feel like once she found out that Julian was sending her up there with those contracts, that she would have, as a mother, done some mothering. Well, that's also far beyond the scope of a, a teenage girl's job responsibilities. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was really strange that Pilar was just like, okay with the whole thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's got to do with the power dynamics and her not wanting to lose her job and going against Julian. I don't, I don't know. know. I also think it's very strange that they would have the driver take Teresa up, but then expect her to take the train and the cab back. Like, why not have the driver? 
Oh, oh she no, took the a driver cab. didn't take her. She off. took You're a train right. and a it cab. Was. I well, I guess that's my point is why not have the driver take her? Yeah, yeah. She's not. She's not worthy. It's so I the whole I. The, yeah. She's not worthy. She's not worthy. She's not a crane. It's so such she bullshit can't sit in the car. It's fucking crazy. Mm. So anyway, while Julian is off making this phone call, Teresa's like worked herself up into a tizzy thinking about being alone with Ethan at the cabin because she doesn't know that he went up there for like a romantic weekend. Nobody knows this. And I didn't realize that at first. I was like, why does she think they'll be alone? But no, nobody there knows that the plan for Ethan was to, for him and Gwen to go away together, except for Ivy. Ivy's like the only other person yeah. who knows. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was, because at first I was like, why is she so excited to crash their romantic weekend? But she just didn't know. That's true. And and Julian didn't know. That's true. I, I had the same reaction as you did with like, why is Teresa so excited and why is she so clueless? And all nobody knew except for Ivy. Yeah. Oh brother. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, Ivy and Sheridan. Yes. Then that's it. Yeah. But she, as we know, Sheridan's in New Mexico. Sheridan's in New Mexico <laughs> and didn't bother to tell any about anybody about oh, yeah, it. Nobody knows. Her family has no clue where she is and they could not care less. Yeah. So they send Teresa off. Teresa's gone. And uh, then Julian and Pilar have a conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us what happens? Yes. Julian tells Pilar he doesn't know what they would do without her or her daughter. He's saying she's so friendly. And um, she said he says, which is more than I can say for that son of yours. Like <laughs> and then he brings up Martin's disappearance again and he brings up the fact that he told Luis that Martin was a thief and he's clearly trying to get under Pilar's skin like he's I feel I don't know what his purpose was but he clearly was just being mean I think he just likes to feel powerful and belittling people or hurting people makes him feel big and powerful and strong because he's really fucked up yeah I think yeah, I agree. And I think maybe he was also just trying to see where her head was at with all of it. Now that it's being like pulled up again, if she is, if she believes the lie. Yeah. Is she buying the story? Right. That could be it. Yeah. I, yeah. He's just a bully. He's just a bully. He's checking in to see if his scheme is working and if he can hurt someone at the same time, be- even better. Yeah. But chow, Pilar tells Julian. She says, Martin's disappearance has been very hard on my family, especially Luis. But when the whole story, the truth of Martin's disappearance comes out, and make no mistake, the truth will come out, I wonder whose family will be hurt more, your family or mine? Mm. Again, Pilar knows something. She must. This is too strong a stance to take to her employer, the most powerful man in Harmony, if she doesn't know something massively important. Pilar knows something. She has to. She has to. But then I get scenes of her talking to other people about Martin's disappearance and she seems to know nothing. And we know that Pilar can't tell a lie. So I, I don't, so I don't know what to believe. I don't know. Because I feel like I'm getting two different things from Pilar. She's she's really playing both sides. So after she mic drops on Julian, (laughs) she goes, it's getting late. Is it okay if I leave for the day? And he's like, is it okay? Yes, you've said quite enough. And she's like, 
okay, bye. <laughs> Pilar really takes a stand. Good for Pilar. And I love it. I love Pilar. Because she she knows Julian for who he is. And oh, she absolutely. Hates, she, knows, she knows every bad thing that she could know about that man. Well, Pilar leaves and Julian immediately calls his daddy. Mm-hmm. He immediately calls Alistair and says, we may have a problem. <laughs> we may have a problem. He said, but then he says, fortunately, no one has decided to investigate our little secret in New Mexico. Joke's on you, Julian. Mm-hmm. Two people are investigating your little secret in New Mexico. The two people you absolutely don't want investigating your secret in New Mexico. Right. These are like the two worst people to be investigating. Absolutely. Yeah. But there, but there they are. There they are in New Mexico. So Julian pours himself a little drink and Ivy comes in to bother him again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ivy just shows up to like poke the bear. Yeah, That's she her teases favorite thing. Him. She teases him about being scared of Alistair. And she's like, oh, you're just so afraid of what your father thinks of you. And while they're having this stupid conversation, Gwen calls and interrupts them. Oh, my God. Gwen is calling for Ivy. She's also calling for no reason. Uh, that's exactly. I wrote, she doesn't say anything important. Nothing at all. She's like, oh, I think, I think it's time. I think Ethan's finally going to propose. <laughs> Gwen, Gwen t- spent all five of these episodes in her car on her cell phone. Yep. Or talking to herself. Yeah. Like she didn't talk to anyone in a scene in person. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely true. Oh, Gwen. Poor, Poor Gwen. Poor Gwen. <laughs> so she calls for no reason. After that phone call, though, um, Julian tells Ivy that he sent Teresa to the cabin with some contracts because she gets off the phone and she's excited that she's like, tonight's going to be the night that they that Ethan finally proposes. And he's like, ooh, they're in for a real surprise. Yeah, <laughs> he's not going to propose if Teresa's there. And he says exactly what you would expect him to say, mm-hmm. which is, I hope Gwen doesn't arrive too early and find her beloved betting the housekeeper's daughter. I hate him. I really hate him. I hate him. Alistair's going to be worse than him. Worse than Julian. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, Laura. Yes. Alistair's going to be worse than Julian. Alistair is horrible. But think about it. Julian is a product of Alistair. Julian's kind of like... Julian's awful, but he's also a buffoon. Mm-hmm. So Alistair's just going to be evil. Yeah. You think think of Julian as George W. Bush and mm-hmm. think of Julian as like Dick Cheney. Okay. Like the puppet master. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. Or Trump and McConnell. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Basically pick any two Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> So what else happens here? She So Ivy's upset that he sent Teresa up to the cabin and it's going to ruin this romantic weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And then Julian is like, face it, Ivy, the boy's just like his father. He's got so many of my attributes, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then Ivy goes, you're right, Julian. He is just like his father, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> And Julian is shocked. He's confused. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, I thought we were going back and forth. You've never agreed with me before. You know, and he's like, well, if you love the boy so much and he's just like his father, so it stands to reason that you should love me too. And she's like, nope, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> the boy's just like his father. 
Ivy's really starting to let slip. She's doing it on purpose. It's not a slip. It's right, right. But it's like, why would you keep up this charade for 20 something years and then start to do this? Yeah. So he questions her about it and he's like, well, basically, if you love Ethan so much, he inher- and he inherited all of his good traits from me, which he fucking didn't, then surely you must love me too, blah, 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 whatever. She's not going for it. She finally's like, you know, I'm, I got to go to the high school. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I got to go check out some of our investments at the high school. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk about that. It's ridiculous. In a little bit. It's ridiculous. <laughs> got to check out some things at the high school. So she leaves. She makes her excuses and she leaves. And but before she leaves, Julian once again tries to seduce her. And it was gross. It was so gross I didn't even take notes about it. He did. He tried to seduce no. her a fucking again. Not and she's, again. She rebuffs his advances. Good. Yeah. And then he calls Alistair again after she leaves. Yeah. Julian <laughs> basically like puts the moves on someone and then calls daddy. Yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. And then he, Julian calls Alistair, tells him that he actually diffused the situation with Martin about Martin, but he just called him like five minutes ago and told him we may have a problem. Who are you talking about? Yeah. How did he diffuse the situation? I don't know. Julian's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. know. Maybe the drink finally got to him and he was like, ah, no, everything's fine. I don't have to worry. (laughs) It was like some of that weed wine. (laughs) Some of that weed wine. Yeah. Yeah. Some weed tea. Yeah. (laughs) So, They talk, whatever. And um, then Julian decides to go to the high school to find Ivy. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to follow my wife. Yeah. And at the high school, like, I feel like we should just finish with Julian. Okay. At the high school real quick and then move into Ivy or move into Teresa. Okay. So let's go to the high school. Real quickly at the high school, Julian's there and he overhears a conversation between Pilar and Hank about how Luis and Sheridan are missing, like are nowhere to be found. Nobody knows where they are. And um, there's some suspicion that maybe they went to New Mexico. But uh, he just overhears this. He comes to the high school basically to overhear this so that he can call Alistair and tell him. That's it. That's all that Julian does at the high school. He never finds Ivy. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, that way when we go back to this, we don't have to talk about Julian anymore. Sure, (laughs) it spells big trouble for anyone who gets too nosy as to the whereabouts of Martin Fitzgerald. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so let's head up to this cabin, shall we? Let's do this. So we start off with Ethan and Gwen both on the phone. Ethan is driving already; he's on the road; he's heading towards the cabin. Gwen is at home packing, so she's a little bit behind, and they're discussing the details of. Their romantic weekend away. They're excited about the possibility of being snowed in together. But Gwen sure is taking her time packing shit up. And what do you have to pack for a weekend at a cabin where you're basically just going to be having sex the whole time? Right. What do you need to pack? It's two days. Well, Ethan has asked her to bring a hamper of food. No, he brought a hamper of food. I know that he brought one, but he tells her to pack another hamper of food. He does? Yes. (laughs) He's like, there's an impending blizzard. You should pack more food just in case we really do get snowed in. Mm, okay. You know? And yeah. So I was like, how? Yeah, it was dumb. But basically she hangs up the phone and then just dilly dallies. Like this bitch is not <laughs> making it to the cabin. No, I, I told you. You did. <laughs> I, I, and, and at first I was like, I, I think Teresa and Ethan are going to be there and Gwen's going to 
you know, interrupt it in some compromising way and be concerned and a fight's going to happen. But I think you're right where it's just going to be Gwen doesn't get there. Yeah. So after he hangs up with Gwen, Julian calls Ethan and to give him, or, or while he's on the phone with her, actually. Yeah, he gets he's a on call the on the other line, and that's why he doesn't pick up the phone, because he's like, uh, it's probably my dad. He's probably going to want me to do something for work, and I want to focus only on you, my sweet. Yep, <laughs> so, so he, he misses the call about Teresa's coming. Yep. Yep, because he just didn't answer the fucking phone. I mean, there you go. And Th- Julian this is all- didn't leave a message? This he didn't is, leave a voicemail? This is all Ethan's fault. It's all this Ethan's is, fault. Oh, this is all Ethan's fault. And don't worry, dear listeners, it's going to get worse. Oh, it's going to get way, so way much worse. worse. It's going to get so much. Anyway, and let's, also, let's get to and it. And also better. Oh, so good. Yeah, so he says um, he's not going to let business take first place over him and his relationship with Gwen anymore and blah, blah, blah. Nothing or no one is going to ruin our time together especially not Teresa. That is what he says to Gwen. Cause she like brings up Gwen. I mean, she brings up Teresa cause she can't fucking help herself. She it's can't help herself. It's kind of turning into a K scenario where K is obsessed with Miguel, but she keeps talking about charity. Yeah. Like Gwen is obsessed with Ethan, but she keeps talking about Teresa. Yeah. Mm, so Ethan and Gwen continue to talk on the phone about their rom- romantic getaway that is surely about to be completely ruined, mm-hmm. completely and utterly ruined. Um, and they've really built Gwen all the way up just to pummel her right into the <laughs> fucking ground. Like they've built, no matter which way this scenario goes, Gwen's going to be really hurt. Like yeah. she's going to be torn all the way down. They're built. They have built her up. She's so excited. She thinks she's, she's going to be proposal. Get, yeah. Get yeah. proposed to. Yeah. Yeah, she thinks she's about to get a proposal. And no matter how this situation turns out, that's not what's happening. No. Woo! Oh, Gwen. Oh, Gwen. To- I mean, they build her all the way up. I will say, to his credit, Ethan gets to the cabin and starts making it really nice for mm-hmm. her. He did. Puts out rose petals. There are candles everywhere. Champagne is chilling in an ice bucket. An ice bucket that's way better than our ice bucket from when we were on live. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a yeah. Roar, there's a roaring fire. Also, do you remember the song? I wrote down the lyrics. I wrote down the lyrics. Love's got a rhythm of its own. Yep. <laughs> but I don't remember, I don't remember the melody. Love's got a rhythm of its own. I don't know. I don't I, remember how it goes, but it was something like that. Okay, but I have a question. Yes. So as this is all happening he's making it beautiful he starts putting down little pieces of paper were these love notes that were leading to the bed what was this that's what i was very confused because he wrote down um a note that says come and be with me and then he congratulates himself saying you've outdone yourself ethan crane (laughs) he wrote down the note says come and be with me and then he does did every note say that I think each note was probably like a little, maybe it was like, like a, a, bre- a breadcrumb and, and be, be, no, I think each one was like a breadcrumb, like come and be with me. I'll shower you with kisses. You know, that kind of like one little, I don't know, something after another. He has really gone above and beyond. He on really this. did. But I will say the second half of that quote is you've outdone yourself. Ethan Crane, Gwen is going to remember this night forever. And I think she will. But not for reasons he thinks. Nope. (laughs) This is about to be a disaster. So while he's getting ready, he goes, he gets everything ready. He goes into the bedroom, gets fully nude, naked, naked. 
And uh, he's in the bedroom waiting on Gwen. He's like, she's got to be so surprised. He's standing like next to the door where if you open the door, you wouldn't be able to see him like a prowler. Like he's standing in the place in my bedroom where I check to make sure nobody's there ready to kill me when I walk through the door. Yeah. 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 He's standing in the place where when I was a kid, I would hide behind and then jump out and scare my my little brother and sister. And say boo. (laughs) So meanwhile, Teresa has arrived. Teresa has arrived. Teresa is in the building. Oh my gosh. She has a ribbon. I love this. So she arrives to the cabin in a yellow cab and she is overjoyed as she's walking up to the cabin and the cabbie's like, you want me to wait? And she's like, no, I think I'm going to be here for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa now, and here's the thing. Teresa knows that she is going to deliver these papers to Ethan for Julian. She knows that she's there for work, but when she walks in, to the front door of this cabin and sees the setup, sees the rose petals, sees the champagne, sees the candles. She automatically assumes it's all for her. Insane. Insane. But you know what? It's not so crazy because she thought that Julian had told Ethan that she was coming. This is such a big gesture. It's a stretch. That's the thing, though. This is such a huge gesture. And for Teresa, that's what she would expect from because she has such the... Uh, such strong feelings for Ethan. She would expect uh, reciprocity, I think. But um, it's a stretch. It is a stretch. Do not get me wrong. I mean, I was confused, honestly. I was like, why would she not announce herself as she walked in? Right. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, so Ethan hears Teresa come in to the cabin and he's, thinks it's Gwen. Of, of course. course. Of course that's the of assumption. Of course he thinks it's Gwen. Yeah. So he's standing there naked behind the bedroom door, right? And Teresa comes into this love nest and she thinks that Ethan has done all of this for her, of course. And I'm sh- I was like shaking my head so hard while she cuz she was thrilled. She was she was like kind of crouching, kind of hugging herself, kind of touching her her heart like almost in tears. Ethan loved she goes, my dream is coming true. Oh. And then she's like, Ethan is such a romantic girl. What? Then Teresa's enthusiasm quickly turns to panic. Right. Like she's like, what if, what if this is all moving too fast? What if Ethan's feelings aren't as deep as mine are? Oh my gosh. What is, what if and she's like, this is too important to just go into without considering the consequences. Yes. Teresa stick with this moment of lucidity. <laughs> stick with this. She always has a moment. She always comes back to reality and then swats it away. But honey, that pendulum swings so quickly back the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just like swiped right through. Yeah. Uh, I mean, defied all physics. (laughs) It was crazy. Because then she's like, no, this is what I've always wanted. It's what I've always dreamed about. Ethan is the one for me. This is fate. It's meant to be. And she goes into that bedroom and Ethan grabs this girl from behind, quickly turns her around to him and kisses her. Make, I mean, heavy. They're like making out. Making out. And then he turns her back around and Teresa has like a scarf over her hair so he can't see that she's a brunette and not a blonde. Mm. And then... He like pulls her to the bed and pulls her on top of him. Oh my god! And he's just like caressing her, rubbing his dick on her. Like <laughs> I, I, I wrote, <laughs> Teresa and Ethan are getting hot 
and heavy. I mean, he's naked. And he somehow does not realize that it's not Gwen. If I was kissing anybody other than my boyfriend, I would know. I would know. I would absolutely know. You would know. You would know. I've had like I've had to do shows before where I'm kissing someone who isn't my partner and it's like my real life partner. They're my scene partner. And it's like fucking weird because I'm like, this isn't the mouth I'm used to having yeah. on my mouth. It's different. Yeah. You know. It's fu- It's weird. It's ridiculous. And he turns her, he says like, this is the beginning of the rest of our lives together. And then um, he tells her that he loves her oh. and that she ch- has changed his life. And he never says Gwen. Not once Not does he one say time. Gwen. You're right. And he says, um, I can't imagine having my life. Well, I, I can't imagine my life without you. And um, then he says, let me show you how much I love you. And he keeps like pulling her onto him and he's kissing her and saying all of these sweet nothings. And then she finally goes, Ethan. And he he was like, Teresa. Oh my God. He, this was hilarious. He grabs a pillow and like puts it over his junk, places it over his throbbing member. His erection. (laughs) <laughs> that he's been pressing against a teenage girl uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who works in his house. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Like grabs a pillow, like backs out of the room, running. <laughs> Honey, <laughs> like, it, it is Me Too movement worthy. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, it's bad. It's this would really not bad. when when he comes up for his uh, Supreme Court justice like oh, hearing yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like this would definitely come up. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. It's it's crazy and so he runs out of the room he gets out of there as fast as humanly possible yeah, he's apologizing and the he's, whole time oh, he's apologizing profusely i'm so sorry Teresa. i'm so sorry I, I i didn't know and he backs out of the room and like shuts the door and Teresa, Teresa, this lunatic Teresa. thinks thinks that ethan's reaction is him respecting her wish to remain a virgin until their wedding her night. wish that she had never shared with him <laughs> also they're not together she's a okay nut. so like whether she wants to remain or she she can stay a virgin until her wedding night if she wants but why is she talking about our wedding night together you are not with this man this man jumped out of his skin once he realized it was you and you still think he did all of this for you right she's a lunatic a lunatic and i think <laughs> i think before we move on to what happens next, I just really quickly want to to jump to poor Gwen, who's in the car driving in the snow, listening to that stupid song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was that? What was the song? The lyrics? R- rhythm. Something about the rhythm. rhythm of love. Either way, she's listening to that and she's thinking about her first quick kiss with Ethan and says out loud, it's a good thing he's never kissed another woman that way. As he is kissing Teresa. Exactly how he exactly would that kiss way. Gwen. Yeah. yeah. So poor Gwen. Poor Gwen. But this is hilarious. This is hilarious. So so Ethan now is in the living room flipping out. Confused. Confused. <laughs> and Teresa is in his bedroom overjoyed, but also a little confused. Yeah. She's like, why do you leave? And he, yeah, he's confused. And then he goes back into the bedroom and asks her to explain why she's there. And then she explains about the contracts and everything. And he explains to her that he was expecting someone else. And he apologizes again and says, I should have let you identify yourself, Teresa. <laughs> I thought it was such a funny line. <laughs> I should have let you identify yourself, Teresa. How do you, 
She, I mean, she should have said something when she came in. She should have knocked. That's true. That's true. No, she should have knocked. She should have rung the doorbell. She should have, yeah, made her presence known. Absolutely. But I think also at this point, Ethan is wondering, maybe Gwen is right. Mm, yeah. Maybe Teresa let this go a little too far because she does have a little crush on me. And so that I think that's why he's so pushy with like, why are you here? What are you doing? Explain yourself. But that fades pretty quickly and turns into Ethan, like, taking the responsibility. Yeah, because she did have a reasonable reason to be there. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it was legit. Yeah. And she didn't manufacture it at all. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. But this breaks Teresa's heart. Yeah. Of course it does. She has, she has another moment of lucidity. Mama was right. Ethan and I will never be together. Yeah. She has it, a moment. It's just back and forth. It's so much. I would, it seems like she would get, like, vertigo from like moving the all those mood swings emotional like, whiplash <laughs> yeah she's just like how can you ever have like good equilibrium well she clearly doesn't she's just she's such... this she's constantly manic this poor girl yeah this poor girl i love Teresa though and i, I don't want her to ever be less crazy <laughs> i don't so yeah she's crying ethan and i will never be together of course of course he doesn't love me and then she goes to get some water and she pulls herself together while Ethan is out in his car looking for a pen because he doesn't have a pen. There's not a pen to be found inside of this cabin. Well, there's one in there, but it's out of ink. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, <laughs> so what a detail. That, so that's why he goes to his car. <laughs> what a detail. And um, so he's out there and then Teresa gets this water and she starts to like choke on the water. And then the fucking phone rings and she answers it. I like you answer the phone at other people's homes. Number one. Number two, you're in the middle of choking. Maybe don't pick up the phone. She's like, <laughs> like, why would you answer the phone that way? I don't know. She answers the phone. Of course it's Gwen, because Gwen has done nothing but call, call Ethan. Ethan. <laughs> Gwen has done nothing but call Ethan all day long. Like, she has nothing to do. Gwethan is my new favorite couple name. Ugh, I don't Gwethan. think anyone's rooting for them, though. No. Gwethan. What what would Ethan and Teresa's be? Teresa? Terethan. Terethan. Terethan and Gwethan. E. E. Teresa. No. 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 Terethan. Terethan. Yeah, you got it. It was, it was the right one from Jump. It was right. Yeah. So, yeah, Gwen has called. Teresa has picked up the phone and is choking and um, on this water. And Gwen is, of course, concerned. She's like, Ethan? Hello? Are you okay? Are you okay? Why are you coughing? What's going on? And at this point, Teresa finally clears her throat and responds. But on Gwen's end, the connection is so bad that it's it's breaking up and she can't tell that it's not Ethan on the other end of the line. And then Ethan returns from the car where he's been out looking for a pen and his brain. And he runs back in. <laughs> grabs the phone from <laughs> Teresa <laughs> and just as Gwen's connection clears up and and is able to speak to Ethan. Yeah. So she's none the wiser at all. And Teresa tried to tell her like three times, did you hear me, Gwen? It's me, Teresa. Yeah. Did you hear me, Gwen? It's me, Teresa. She kept trying to say and, it. But no, it's breaking up. And then, yeah, Ethan swoops in, gets the phone from Teresa and starts on his road of deceit and his, treachery. His road of lies. He has made the decision at this point. Mm -hmm. He made the decision out in the car, I think, because I was like, I saw the 
I saw the cogs in that head trying to turn. He made the decision, I'm not going to tell Gwen about this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and get Teresa out of here as quickly as possible and not tell Gwen. Also, he gets, he's like, um, in the car, he's like upset that Julian didn't call him and warn him about Teresa coming. Except Julian did call you. And Julian you called you it. and you just ignored the phone call. And he doesn't acknowledge the fact that he ignored his father's phone call, even though he had talked to Gwen about ignoring the, fo- the phone call. But he's still mad at Julian. Oh, yeah. All of these things are, will not add up in his favor. And Gwen is no dum-dum. And she, well, she's kind of dumb in some ways, but not in this way, especially because mm-hmm. she's already suspicious of Teresa. So there is a trail of evidence that Ethan is not smart enough to cover up. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So anyway, what happens next? So Ethan comes in, takes the phone from Teresa, talks to Gwen, and... She is so excited about coming up. She's so excited. She's talking about this surprise he has promised her. Mm. And they have this dumb conversation, whatever, about how much they love each other. While Teresa unravels in the bedroom. <laughs> I because mean, she, she unravels because she realized that this was all for Gwen and not for her. But of course it was all for Gwen and not for you. What world do you live in? But then that pendulum swings and she counters with, but Ethan did kiss me. Ethan did hold me. He was romantic with me. Did Ethan really think I was Gwen? She says. Yeah. If he really loves her, then he would have known it wasn't her from that first kiss. Mm -hmm. If he really loved Gwen, he wouldn't have been able to kiss me with such passion. Mm -hmm. So Teresa, here's the thing. Teresa's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's just crazy. Yeah. You can be right and also be insane. Yeah. (laughs) And that's exactly what we have here. We have a lovable lunatic. Yeah. And, you know, she says, says, maybe I have a chance with Ethan after all. And, you know, like you said, she kind of has a point, but still, right? Oh, I'm not condoning it, but yes. Why do you want this man at this point? Why does she want him? She can do better. She can do better. I think that, I think that Teresa sees a life that she wants to lead. And I think that she sees that he is the best way into that life. Mm. And let's also not forget like your teenage crushes like my teenage crushes yeah. when I was little, I, ha- I had like the most intense feelings for like horrible boys, horrible boys, horrible boys. Horrible oh, boys. there's so many people I think back on. I was like, why did I like you? Right? You are terrible. Terrible. <laughs> you know, like she, so she's got this, like this enormous crush, all these huge emotions she's experiencing for the first time. And she keeps getting breadcrumbs from him that, that, it could be something more one day. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not condoning it, but no, I, hear what it, I, think, I think we're in a gray area. Yeah. And I can, sure. I can see how she feels so much about him. But from my perspective, I don't get it. I don't get it. He sucks, man. He sucks. He sucks. And, and also you're seeing firsthand how he is able to deceive this woman that he says that he loves so much. Like for me, that would be a big, big red flag and a problem yeah you know if i'm hanging out with a guy and he lies to his girlfriend about me being there even though literally nothing is going on Mm -hmm. and i get why ethan hit it like i totally get why he hit it but from my perspective that would be a big red flag like you're a liar yeah you you claim to love this woman but you can't even be honest with her about something that you didn't do anything right yeah like there's there's an undercurrent of deception that's like running through 
yeah. every interaction that he has with his girlfriend right now. And I guess he did make out with Teresa and rub his naked body against her. That is a lot. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> Ethan is a man and Teresa is a, a girl. girl. Mm-hmm. This is not a boy and a girl or a man and a woman. This is a grown man and a teenage girl, an underage girl. Yep. Yeah. So it's bad. It's a bad look, Ethan. Mm, it's a bad look. He's a bad, bad man. He's a bad, bad man. <laughs> <laughs> so Ethan comes in and sees Teresa and thanks her for not telling Gwen that she was there, even though Teresa tried to tell her like three times. <laughs> And um, she says, but why don't you want her to know that I'm here? And he tells her, well, she's a little insecure because of all the strange things that have happened between us. And um, Teresa asks, she says, well, do you think Gwen would be mad to see us together here? And he's like, yup. (laughs) She would be very upset and I don't want to upset her because I love her. Okay. Yeah, he also tells Teresa it's ridiculous that she's been feeling insecure because there's nothing between us. There never could be. There never will be. Like, yeah. he's, he is very definitive that he does not have feelings for Teresa and never will. Yeah, <laughs> he is very clear on that point, on that on that front. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so he again apologizes and says, now let's get you out of here before Gwen gets here. <laughs> and he goes to call her a cab. Um, and then he comes back. And asked Teresa to never tell Gwen that she was there. Like, he's again, like, doubling down. Like, please, keep this to yourself. Don't tell anyone. And she's like, I would never. I agree. I'm I'm fine. Then the phone rings. Yep. Then the phone rings. And it is the cab company calling to inform Ethan that the car that he had ordered has broken down. And they will not be able to send another car uh, for quite a while because nothing else is available because of this big snowstorm. So he hangs up and is like, okay, well, they got to send one quickly or we're fucked. And then he's like, you know what? I'm not going to wait. I'm going to take you to the train station myself. And he and Teresa run out to the car, get in the car, put that key in the in, in the ignition, turns the key, and the battery won't turn over. The fucking battery's dead. The battery is dead. Ethan, at this point, is practically in tears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's almost crying. There's no way I'll get you to the train station before Gwen gets here. I should have told her that you were here. This mm-hmm. is going to look really bad. Yup. And Gwen is driving through the snow, still speaking out loud to herself, talking about how excited she is about a, a potential proposal and how she's angry with Teresa, but she's glad she's back in harmony. Like we just keep getting a split screen where Ethan and Teresa are doing their thing and Gwen is monologuing. Yeah, in a car. Yeah. And, and just like talking about Teresa. She's obsessed with Teresa. Obsessed. She's obsessed. Why are you so obsessed with me, Gwen? I wanna know. <laughs> I wrote this endless, pathetic monologue must come to an end. <laughs> well, it did when she called Ethan again. <laughs> she calls Ethan again. Oh, no. It's crazy. Oh. And so while while he's on the phone with Gwen inside the house, Teresa's like still outside, and she's like. Huh, Gwen's pretty upset. If she found out that I was here, she would be pretty upset about it. And she might even dump Ethan. And she like grins that Grinch smile. She's like rubbing her hands together like a villain. She grins that <laughs> Grinch smile that he gets once he gets that that plan to be to steal Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> she's going, oh Lord, she's the Grinch. 
She is in this in this moment. She's absolutely the how Grinch. the Grinch stole Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh. Her, her heart cannot grow three sizes. If I mean, it's already it's too so big. big. It's it too needs big. to shrink a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. She feels things way too deeply. Far, far too deeply. This yeah. one. This one. So yeah, she's elated at the the prospect that. Ethan will tell Gwen that she's there because he's been saying, well, I should have told her. Now he's got the chance. But does Ethan tell Gwen that Teresa is there? No. 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 Of course he doesn't. <laughs> Why would he make the right decision? It's Ethan. Oh, when has Ethan ever made the right decision? So she, so Gwen has called him to tell him that the roads seem to be impassable. Like, um, and that the radio just said that people should stay off of Route 6 or whatever route she was already yeah. on. She had to get on to go to the cabin. And so she asks Ethan if he thinks she should turn around or just keep on going. She's like, am I just being a a fraidy cat? Well, Gwen can't make the decision for herself. And she understands that she must rely on Ethan's sharp legal mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she's saying like, should I turn around or basically should I risk my life to get to the cabin with you? Basically. Right. Good question, Gwen. You can't come to the decision on your own. Then Ethan puts Gwen on hold to ask Teresa her opinion. I take it back. They're both idiots. (laughs) Gwen is a dum-dum. I was wrong 10 minutes ago or whatever. No, they're both dum-dums. Stone cold dum-dums. These two. Are you kidding me? Ask the teenager. (laughs) Ask the teenager. She can't even drive a car. She doesn't have a license. Why would you ask for her opinion? It's so stupid. Oh, it's so dumb. It was so dumb. He puts her on hold to ask for Teresa's uh, opinion. And Teresa says, I can't tell you what to do, Ethan. Like, she has more wisdom than yeah. these two adults. Yeah. She's like, I can't tell you what to do, Ethan. And then he gets back on with Gwen and tells her to turn around. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you better go. You better turn around and go home. Go to safety. We'll make up for it. We'll fly somewhere sunny. And the end. And then she, Teresa like drops something in the background. I think is the, is that when that happens? Gwen calls so many times. Yeah, that, it may not have happened this time. That's not when the, <laughs> when she drops something. She calls so many fucking times. So many times. But this time she's giving she gives Ethan numerous times to like come clean right. about Teresa. She says like leading questions like, "Oh, I just hate for you to be alone up there all by yourself." Oh, you're going to be all by yourself. Oh, you're alone. And never does he say, well, actually, Teresa's here. (laughs) I was so surprised because the doorbell just rang and Teresa just came here. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, actually, Julian just called me and said that Teresa's on her way. Like, he could fudge the timeline a little bit. Absolutely. And still come out on top and none would be the wiser. Yep. You know, like, there there would be no issue other than the fact that he made out with a child. And rubbed his dick on her. Oh, God. His naked body. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Hunk of cement. (laughs) So, yeah, he doesn't come clean. Instead, he continues to lie and tells her to go back home. Don't come here. Yeah. And Teresa... Tells him, you know, I think you made the right decision. Sometimes telling a little white lie is less hurtful than if you are honest. So, you know, it's okay. How about we just make dinner? I can cook. You you can go collect some firewood, you know, and that's that's what they decide to do. Again, the teenager is calling the shots. And Teresa and Ethan begin their romantic weekend of playing house together. Yep. <laughs> 
And it's funny because Ethan, go- Ethan goes out the door to start chopping wood because they're like, well, it's going to be a cold. It's going to be a cold night. I better get more wood for the fireplace. And he closes the door. And Teresa says, you don't know it yet, but you're here with the right woman. <laughs> it's so fatal attraction. <laughs> it's insane. There's no there's her. no kind way to say it. So I'm just going to say it. It's insane. Fucking baddie, man. Yeah. It's Fucking baddie. Oh, my gosh. So then Teresa calls Pilar to ask her for help with what she should make with all of this, like, fancy food. Because it's, like, caviar and oysters. And it's just, like, a bunch of stuff that... A bunch of sex food for adults. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I don't know what to do with this. (laughs) There's a bunch of sex food for adults. I'm cry- like I'm crying. That really tickled that you, didn't it? That is so fucking funny. <laughs> okay, okay. Your yeah, laughter yeah. is making me laugh. Uh, I didn't think I was that funny. It was it was hilarious. <laughs> that that just made my fucking day. Uh, it's a bunch of sex food for adults. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sex food, sex food for adults. And Teresa's like, I don't know how to cook this or how to prepare this. So I'm going to call my mom Yep, to try to make a meal out of the hamper. and But she has to leave a voicemail and she leaves a crazy one. <laughs> well, I think at this point she's like, my mom knows that I'm here, but she doesn't know that I'm stuck here. Mm-hmm. So she leaves a message and says, I'm safe. I will be home tomorrow. Was there anything else I missed? Well, then she goes, <laughs> oh, also, I was right. Fate is on my side after all. So at this point... There's two things. Ethan comes back inside and then we go back to Gwen. Okay. So Ethan's returned with firewood and now we see Gwen driving and she hears on the radio that snow plows are expected to be coming shortly. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to pull over and stop at this rest stop and see if the plows come quickly enough and that they'll make the roads passable. And that way I won't have to turn around and I can surprise Ethan, which I love. I love this. I love this back and forth. We think she's going home, but no, no, she's not. She's going to wait for the fucking snowplows. You know what? I get it, though. Me too. Because she came all this way. She thinks she's getting proposed to. She thinks Ethan is there alone and is going to be snowed in. And she loves him and doesn't want him to be alone. And she doesn't want to miss out on yet another proposal. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. This is a big deal. I understand. And she's like, you know what? I'm almost there. If the plows come, I'll be there. I'll be there and it'll be fine. You know, like this, it won't be dangerous. Like I'll just wait it out a little bit. Yeah. So she has decided she's going to surprise Ethan after all. Well, back at the cabin, Teresa is going on and on about how being at the cabin in, in this snowstorm is a dream come true. Yeah. I said, what? And then she goes to get some food and then Gwen calls again. Gwen calls again. She yes. calls so many she calls times. Again. She calls again. And what does she tell Ethan? She goes, the snowplows are coming through soon, so I might be able to make it after all. But he insists that she should not come up. He's like, but the, you'll be driving on ice. It's still really dangerous. You shouldn't come up. Now, this is the moment when I would be extra suspicious. I would get suspicious. He tells her, just turn around and go back to Harmony. Quote, that's what he says to his girlfriend. Mm. Just turn around and go back to Harmony. Yes, I would be sus at this point. Why do you want me to, to, to not be there with you? Because now I have a, a really easy path 
to, mm-hmm. to getting there and you're telling me not to. And they live in New England. Like you right. and I know that once the snow plows come through, the dr- you can drive on those roads. So yeah, he insists that she turns back around. And he doesn't come clean. Again, yep. he doesn't come clean. In fact, he tries to distract her. He starts talking about, oh, you know, next time we'll go to the beach instead of doing a weekend away in the winter. And Gwen starts talking about my family's place in the Caribbean. Yeah, her, their island. Their island oh place. Oh, my God, these people. And then um, this is the phone call where Teresa drops something in the background. Yes. There's so many phone calls. Because Ethan tells Gwen that he loves her and he always will. And Teresa overhears it and drops the jar caviar. of caviar that she yeah. was holding. Oh, good. So ridiculous. So she hears that happen in the background. She's like, what was that? And he's like, oh, um... He lies. He lies. Oh, I was just so flustered. I just knocked something over, blah, blah, blah. And he quickly is like, love you, bye. Like, yep. he hangs up. He's like, go home, bye. <laughs> and um, But Gwen's still deciding on whether she should go up to the cabin or not. Like, she thought, and I, I imagine, I would be kind of hurt. I don't know. That would be the nail in the coffin for me. I asked what's going on. Like, you distracted me. I hear a noise in the background. You hang up the phone quickly. I My ass would be at that cabin. Yeah, I'm coming to the cabin. I'm coming to the cabin. I'm coming to the cabin. Also, I'm closer to the cabin than I am to home. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm coming to the cabin. If the snowplows are coming through, I'm coming. I mean, we've already established this, but we're going to the cabin. Yeah. All right. So, Ethan... goes to find Teresa and he finds Teresa in the kitchen crying (laughs) and he thinks that she's crying because she dropped a can of caviar. She doesn't say that. He just goes, it's an assumption. He just assumes. Oh, you feel terrible because it's expensive food and you're crying. Okay, Ethan. And so then they talk about making dinner and Teresa says, Oh, I saw some frozen shrimp in the freezer and I was really thinking I should make my mama's rice. And um, it's she brought the country. I mean, she brought the recipe over from the old country. The We're back to this country. again. Exactly. The yeah. old country. We're doing this Like, again. what country do they make, like, shrimp Spanish rice? Is that paella? That's a, Is that Spain? Yeah, are they trying to say that it's paella? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what they're doing. I don't understand. And then Ethan suggests that they have a cook-off. And I'm like, what is happening? And, and he's he, like, I'm going to make clam chowder. I'm going to make the best New England clam chowder you've ever had. And then he, he's like, um, so she's going to make the Spanish rice and shrimp. And he's going to make clam chowder. And then he says, it's a perfect blend of two cultures. Is it? No, it's not. And before they actually start doing their cooking... they enjoy each other's company by feeding each other oysters raw oysters which again is sex food adult sex food sex food for adults (laughs) feeding each other oysters also he goes off about i'm the best oyster shucker in all the land i thought he was gonna cut himself he looks like he did i was like he this man doesn't know how to shuck an oyster i was i was so i thought this was gonna go a slightly different direction i'm glad it went the direction it did but so since I watch, I watch so much K-drama and there's always, always, always a scene where somebody cuts themselves selves, and then 
um, the other person has to like put a bandaid on them. Oh, they have to and dress their and, wound. And that's like sensual for the Koreans. Like, they're like, oh my God, like, I'm touching their wrists. Yeah, they like are touching each other and they have to put, and it shows that they care and all of this, blah, blah, blah. So I thought maybe he was going to cut himself and then they were going to have like a moment, but th- this is not a K-drama. So that is not what happened. That's- yeah. No, they, he shucks the oysters and then they feed each other oysters. Yep. Adult with, sex with lemon food. juice. Yep. Yep. It's gross. Ugh. It's very, it made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Incredibly uncomfortable. I, it made me laugh because I thought it was ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. I think it goes. It's so heavy handed. It's so heavy handed. And they're just trying to show us that Ethan and, no, I almost said Gwen, Ethan and Teresa have a connection. And even though they really don't know each other, they've been building a bond and they get along so easily and they can talk about anything together and they have a wonderful time. Even when it should be a terrible time, they can make the best of things because they're together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So this evening is for Teresa and Ethan. This evening is going along swimmingly. Swimmingly. Yep. So they have dinner. They have their Spanish rice and clam chowder. For dinner. I guess it's just a seafood extravaganza. And also, were they drinking wine? Oh, I didn't pay attention to that. They have wine glasses. Oh my god, was he was he feeding wine to an <laughs> underage child? <laughs> to a child. I'm not what? sure. I can't say for sure, I but they definitely had like glasses. I Maybe didn't it was... clock it, but I believe you. Yeah. All right. So over dinner, the two enjoy their food and Ethan again asks Teresa to keep quiet about being there at the cabin <laughs> and not to tell anybody and not to tell Gwen. Um, but it, you know, it's definitely going to come out one way or the other. Either Gwen shows up. We're not, we're still not sure if she's going to come, but a lot of people know that Teresa is there. Right. A lot of people know. Yeah. Ivy knows. Julia knows. Pilar knows. This is going to come out. It's going to come up. Yeah. I think it's also interesting that Ethan tells Teresa, you know, I would never ask you to lie for me, but I don't want to hurt Gwen. So can you please lie for me? Like, it's really, it's really weird. Yeah. So then they talk about Martin's disappearance and Teresa says that she doesn't think her father was a thief and they go on and on about Martin. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Teresa talks about how much she loved him. She says he left when I was young, but I really loved him. I have so much love in my heart, even though he left and then Ethan starts to talk about how awful Julian was as a father. <laughs> He's like, like oh, I didn't I, really know him. I never knew my father either. And, you know, they connect with each other. They do. This. They bond. Yeah. And then he says, you know, my dad didn't teach me how to ride a bike or to skate or to throw a, uh, throw a snowball. Pilar taught me all of those things. And then Teresa's like, well, let's see how much you learned. And then they go outside and have a romantic snowball flight snowball fight i wrote exactly that ridiculous and then i wrote is this a hallmark christmas movie they have it let me can i just say i find nothing romantic about somebody throwing balls of snow at me pelting me with hard ice rocks nothing romantic about my ex used to like when it was snow he would like pick up snow and throw snow at me as we were going in and out of places and i hated it i hated it yeah I don't like that. There's no, I don't, it's just, I don't, it's not sweet. I don't know. I mean, I grew up with so much winter in my life, like so much snow that I, I really like it. But I, as an adult, I don't know that I would love to be in a snowball fight. 
Fuck no. Like I like being in the snow and like just like walking and you know being out and it's so beautiful and all. I do love that, but I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if I was having a whimsical, <laughs> a whimsical I'm, moment. Feeling 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 really whimsical today. Yeah, maybe. Let's have a snowball fight. Yeah, I could, actually, I could see myself doing that. Whimsy, but. but yeah, this... No, this was crazy. Mm-mm. So then they come back inside, and what happens? Oh, there's immediately a power outage, of course. The power has gone out! Of course. Of course that's what happens. So they're basically setting us up for... Well, I'll just tell you what happens, because that's what they're setting us yep. up for. Uh, Ethan's like, Teresa, you'll find some pajamas in, in that room on this drawer or whatever, and I'm going to go get more logs, because we're going to have to sleep near the fire together in order to survive this cold long night ahead of us (laughs) and as he when he goes outside to get the logs she's again saying it's fate and she says this is my chance to tell ethan that he is the man of my dreams ciao this whole scene this whole thing at the cabin was amazing. I loved all of it. Even the parts I hated, I loved. I loved, I loved this. I love this cabin scenario. Yes, it I is excellent. Love it. So Teresa comes back in wearing Ethan's p- pajamas and he has made her some hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah. How did, but, he, but he, Latara, how did they, how did he make hot chocolate when there's no power? And this was a moment where they took, they took the time to explain and give me a detail that I did not fucking care about. He was like, I made you some hot chocolate. You're probably wondering how I was able to make hot chocolate, even though the power's out, but the stove is gas. So it still works. <laughs> so yeah, I, that I was annoyed at that detail because they leave so many details out. Yeah. I, I will say at that point when he was like, I made hot chocolate, my first reaction was like, but the power is out. And then my second reaction was like, oh, the stove is gas. And then he explained it all. It's like, I did all of that heavy lifting on my own. You didn't need to do that. Didn't need to didn't do need it. To. It's a waste of time. Absolutely. It's a waste of time. So then he says, I'm sorry you have to be here with me. I'm sure you would much rather be with that guy you like, you know, that guy you have such a crush on. He, and this is not the first time he's brought this up. Yeah, he's mentioned it throughout the night a little bit. I think he's trying to put distance between him and Teresa mm-hmm. um, after making out with her. And rubbing, and his, rubbing dick his dick on her. On her. Uh, he rubbed his dick on a child and feels <laughs> terrible about it. And, and so, so now he's trying to insert somebody else between them. Yeah, so then they do this thing that we've seen multiple times before now, right? Where... Teresa moves away from Ethan and turns her face to where she's not looking at him anymore. And then the camera zooms in on her so we don't see Ethan anymore. And then she launches into this whole speech. She goes, (laughs) I think it's time for total honesty between us, Ethan. I want us to have a relationship. So about that crush of mine. And then she says, Gwen has a right to be jealous. I'm not the innocent you think I am. I love you, Ethan, and I always will. She turns around. Ethan is gone. It's, a, it's another, did you say something, Teresa? Gone. <laughs> gone. Gone. He, he was never there. It was crazy. Because he was standing there when she started talking. He just ignored her. Yeah. <laughs> he just ignored her. He was just listening to the, the music in his head. 
that song he's thinking about that song the rhythm of love no or whatever. he was the, he, the song in his head is this is the song that never ends yes it goes on and on my friends some people started singing and not knowing what it was hey hey they, <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking in his fucking head I feel the like, ice cream truck song in his head all yeah, day long he listens to like kids bop <laughs> Like, that's what's going on in his head all the time. Nursery rhymes. <laughs> so Ethan has has left uh, the room. He missed the entire speech, of course. He returns with pillows. And, and no blankets. No blankets. He comes back with a pile of pillows and no blankets. And tells Teresa, you're going to be on log duty since you'll be closer to the fire. And she's like, what do you mean? You don't need to be that far away from the fire. You're going to freeze. You know, again, he's worried about impropriety, especially given what happened earlier. Um, but basically we know where this is going. They're going to end up snuggling up together next to the fire to keep warm. And she wants to sleep with his erection pushing against her back (laughs) and she's going to get what she wants. And she's going to get it. And you know, who's going to show up Gwen because Gwen at this time has just been told Good. You're in luck, young lady, by the like gas station attendant. The plows are coming through, and they are clearing the roads. You can go to your cabin to meet your man. And she says, I'm going to surprise Ethan by sneaking into bed in the middle of the night. Okay, girl. <laughs> well, he won't be in that bed. No, no, he's on the floor with Teresa. Mm-mm. Ooh, that was good. Okay, so this was great. Excellent. I can't wait to f- catch up with the rest of what's going to happen. Like, Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be so good. So now let's move on to the high school, shall we? We must. And I think we should start by talking about Ivy. Absolutely. Remember, Ivy has made an excuse to go to the high school. Right. She's going to check on some some crane industry construction. I don't know. I think it must have been happening around the high school. And then she sees that there's stuff going on in the school. So she goes in to like see what's going on. She's just curious. Mm -hmm. And when she gets there, she runs into Pilar, who immediately is like, you got to get the fuck out of here. I love Pilar says, there's nothing here for you, Mrs. Crane. (laughs) But Ivy spots Sam and says, there is something for me here. Something I've been eyeing for a long, long time. Yep. And Ivy sees him across the room and he, Sam, Sam, and he avoids her like the fucking plague for the next like. 30 minutes or so, like for like three episodes, he's just avoiding Ivy. She's trying to get to him, but he is not interested. No, he wants no parts of it. So Sam sees her, but he's like, God damn it. I I don't want this now. And then TC sees Ivy and he kind of brings up that Ivy's there to Sam and Sam tells him, I don't know why she's here. um, But let's just get back to work. This is none of my concern. He says, I wish she would leave. (laughs) I wish she would leave. That's what Sam says. (laughs) Yeah. And then fucking Grace sees Ivy and um, encounters her and invites her and Julian to dinner at their house. So nice. And then Ivy is playing nice, but Grace really is nice. She's actually nice. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And then she calls Sam over and she's like, come say hi to Ivy, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> and he comes over. He's like, Mrs. Crane. She's like, oh, I think we can be, do better than that. 
you know, just call me Ivy, Sam. And uh, at, at that exact moment, Reese comes up to the adults and uh, has copies of the script. And he, he has some questions for Grace and needs some help. So she leaves to go help him and says, Sam, look after Ivy. Ivy is delighted. Sam looks like he's going to throw up. Yeah. And then we get like um, a Thanksgiving flashback because Ivy's like, oh, this reminds me of one Thanksgiving we spent together. And so we get another one of um, these flashbacks from the 70s where Sam is in that fucking Julius Caesar wig. It's like a different wig every time. It's like they keep trying to find the right wig. And every time it's a miss. It's still wrong. It's still wrong. Still wrong. Also, it's just the two of them at Thanksgiving, and they have the biggest wishbone I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. How big was that turkey? That turkey. <laughs> they had a whole turkey between them. Oh, my God. Betwixt it was them. huge. So, um, That's going to be us this year, though. It's like going to be three of us and a whole turkey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll have leftovers. We'll yeah. have leftovers for the inevitable lockdown. Yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So Ivy flirts with Sam. And he tells her to forget about the past. And he says, it's over. And only you and I know about it. So just shut the fuck up about it already. (laughs) Um, And then Sam goes to a supply closet, like a storage closet. Yeah, there's a box full of props. And Grace has asked him to go to the prop closet and get the box that she needs. And of course, Ivy sees her moment. She follows him into the closet. In she goes. Mm-mm-mm. I wrote, get out of there, Sam. <laughs> oh, my God. She's backed him into it. She's done this once before. So um, she follows him into the storage closet. And she's like, you once told me that you loved me and would love me forever. Did you mean it? Or were you just lying? And Sam has a great response, which is, that's not a fair question. Mm-hmm. We it's were not. different people. We were leading different lives. You know, how do you expect me to respond to that? And Ivy's like, well, real love doesn't wither and die, Sam. I've never loved anyone the way I loved you. I will love you until the day I die. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> Tell me that you've never stopped loving me. Yeah, I she, mean, she expects really, the same from him. Really goes off. And it has been a lifetime. It's been a lifetime. It's been all of Ethan's life. They have, I mean, they have been apart for years. And she's been holding a candle this whole time. Mm-hmm. She and Teresa are very much alike. So much alike. The more I watch this, the more I'm like, these two women are, are the same. Two sides of the same coin. Abs- I think they're yeah. the same side of the same the coin. Same coin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're a lot alike. Wow. Oh, Ivy's going to get what she wants come hell or high water. Yeah. yeah. Probably- and she will play the long game. And that's probably part of the reason that Ethan likes Teresa. He recognizes mm-hmm. those qualities that he's grown up with and yeah. his mother in her. Yep. Oh my God. So anyway, so this whole closet thing is happening. And what? Grace is trying to get in. So then she's like, well, let me go find TC. He's got the keys. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, inside this closet, Sam tells Ivy, you know, I'm glad you followed me in here because now we can have it out once and for all. And um, yeah. He's like, we're going to be done with this today. Yeah. And he tells her, I don't have any feelings for you. Any feelings I ever had for you are gone. And I love one woman, one woman only. And that is my wife, Grace. Boom. I love it. I love it. I love it, too. He was amazing. Oh, also, can we talk about the wardrobe choice for Sam this episode? That white, like, tight, long sleeve like 
not a flannel. What do you call that material? Um, uh, thermal, like it's yeah, like therm- that white yeah. thermal uh, material, like a Henley, but made out of a thermal. And material. then he had like yeah. a fucking tool belt on with those khakis and those boots. He was looking good. I've never seen Sam not look. That's not true because he. I've seen him in that those wig. Wigs. Yeah. 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 No, but. Current Sam always looks good. Ooh, he was looking like a whole damn meal. Yeah. Oh, he looked so good in that white shirt. I understand why Ivy's like, I'm going to go attack him in a closet now. Fuck yeah. And some other people too. <laughs> I, I would follow him into a closet. I'm not going to lie. I might not do anything, but, <laughs> but I would follow him in and then just be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm I would be gobsmacked across the room and then start blushing furiously. I can feel my face turning red just talking about it. Girl, I have, wouldn't be able to speak to him. Have you ever seen... I wouldn't seen, be able to speak to a man that handsome. Have you ever seen an attractive person that, like, stops you in your fucking tracks? <laughs> yes. It has happened to me three or four times, but it happened this past week. This was crazy. I was, like, walking home, and there was, like, a guy sitting at the pizza place at that Napoli pizza yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was, like, sitting inside waiting on his pizza, and I saw him as I was walking past. I saw him in the window. And then I literally like turned my entire body around <laughs> and started walking backwards <laughs> as I was looking at this man. He was fucking fine. He was so damn fine. Ooh, man, if you were at the Napoli pizza <laughs> on Wednesday. No, I'm just joking. No, he was fine. Anyway, but yeah, that. Sam is the kind of person that would stop me in my we're fucking gonna, tracks. We're going to have to order you a birthday pizza. <laughs> a little, yeah, I wouldn't, a, a I slice. Wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no to a birthday <laughs> pizza. a slice. Um, anyway, okay, so this, we got to get back on track. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> this, it's, it's okay. It's okay. So this conversation in the closet is happening. And Ivy makes a crack at Sam. Is like, oh, well, you always were the hero type because he's defending his love for Grace. And Ivy's like, maybe if I had been more of a damsel in distress, we would still be together. And it's like, Ivy, how many times and how many ways must this man tell you he's not interested? Mm -hmm. Well, the best way he tells her is the next way, which is she says she starts to talk about the end of their relationship. And he says, you you and I both know that this thing ended not because of me and but because of what you did, basically. And she goes, well, I was a fool And I never should have married Julian. And then she starts to cry. And Sam looks at her and says, dry your eyes, Ivy. Dry your eyes. Yeah. Oh, she she says that she married Julian because she was young and confused and overwhelmed. And Sam says, I'm sorry that you're not happy, but there's nothing I can do about it now. My concern is for Grace and her happiness, which is why she can never know about us. And at that moment, Grace comes into the closet. Oh, my God. This was crazy. It, this happened so fast. I was like, surely Grace is going to catch them. But no. Grace gets a key, unlocks the closet door, opens the door. Ivy is now hiding behind some boxes in the corner like an animal. <laughs> Sam is standing there. Jumpy. Jumpy. Very mm. twitchy. Very mm. guilty. And Grace is like, oh, Hello. Hello, my handsome husband, wearing that tight white thermal. Yeah, he was looking good. That good, that uh, that sexy little tool belt you got mm-hmm. going on there. And Grace is DTF in this closet. Yes, yeah, she was like coming on to her fine ass husband. She's like, 
when's the last time we made love in a closet? It's like, (laughs) how often do you do that? No, she was like, no Jessica around, no kids. Like we have some time alone. And she starts to jump his bones right then and there, but he's like trying to push her off. Yeah. And uh, because he knows Ivy's in there, but she just keeps, she's persistent. And, but then what would Ivy have done? Would she have come out in the middle of it? Would she have stopped it before it happened or would she have waited until the end? I don't know. What would Ivy have done? I think she... She would have tried to join in? I I think she would have made herself known. Yeah. You want to know why? Because it would cause problems between Grace and Sam. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she would have made herself known. Yeah. Before it got too far, I think. Yeah. Because she was watching patiently while he was trying to push her off of him. Mm -hmm. But if it had gotten to pass that point, Mm -hmm. I think she definitely would have been like... Hey, I'm here. I can see that happening. And I fucked your husband several, several times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. But but it doesn't go that far because uh, they are saved. Sam is saved by the bell because Jessica comes in looking for her mom. Yeah. Um, and then they leave together. Yep. Sam is still in the closet. Ivy comes out from hiding. And she says, I'm glad I was there to watch you reject your wife's advances. And he says, well, I wouldn't have rejected her if you hadn't been there. And and he tells her to stop acting like they're still together. And he leaves. Yeah, he says the past is over. And then after he leaves, she says to herself, the past may be over, Sam, but the future is yet to come. All right. Yep, okay. that's true. That's always true. That's always true. The future is this future is yet to come. That's true. Yeah. And this to me, this next little bit was was my favorite part because we we finally got the answer to the question we've been wondering, which is what the fuck is Ivy doing? What's mm-hmm. the point of all this? So Ivy gets out of the closet and Pilar catches her. And she's noticed that Sam has just left. And she can see that Ivy uh and Sam both look unhappy. And Pilar is like, what are you playing at? What are you trying to do here? And Ivy says, I want Sam back and I'm going to get him. Mm -hmm. So now we officially know. I mean, I think we already knew. I think we knew. But yeah, she finally said it, said it. Yeah. Yep. So let's move on to Miguel Charity K, this pageant, this Thanksgiving pageant. What is happening? Oh, Lord, let's get through this. Okay, so a little bit. Okay, so we know that TC and Grace are basically the social chairs and com- pillars in this community. Like every they everything they do, they do for harmony. So it looks like these two have basically recruited all the other adults to help put this pageant together for the kids, even though there are zero teachers in sight. Yeah, although TC works at the school, he is a teacher. That's true. He's their PE teacher. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, but Mrs. Crump, if you remember, Mrs. Crump, the meanest teacher, teacher of the year, according to Latara, she, (laughs) she's, she's supposed to be like kind of spearheading this thing, but she's nowhere to be seen because Tabitha's fucked with her. Yeah. Let's talk about Tabitha. What happened? Okay. So Tabitha slipped a potion into Mrs. Crump's soup to make her sick for a week. She's like, I'm going to, I'm going to lay this bitch out. So that we can write up a new script, uh, recast this show, and kill Charity. That's like her whole big plan. Kill Charity on stage. By burning her at alive. the stake. Alive. Burning her alive. Craziness. 
fucking yeah. craziness. She's like, and everyone's just going to think it's a tragic accident. What utter nonsense. I mean, oh my gosh. What? So um, Grace get, takes a call from Mrs. Crump, who has been poisoned by Tabitha, and she asks Grace to take over for her. So Grace goes to her office to get the script and the cast list. Meanwhile, Tabitha and Timmy are like sneaking their version of the cast list and the script into Mrs. Crump's office through the window. So they manage to get it in just as Grace is like opening the door to get into the office and they leave. They're getting out of there. And then Grace sees Tabitha with her fucking doll through the window. <laughs> She's like, Tabitha, what are you doing out there? And Tabitha's like, oh, I was just out for a walk. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just out for a walk. And then so she invites her in. Grace I, invites her in to, like, help out. I love that. Grace is like, what are you doing with that doll? And she's so nice about it. She's so nice because a, a, an old woman is walking around with a doll. And Grace is like, this is weird, but. Yeah, uh, Tabitha says that she just hates to think of the doll at home. She just thinks he gets lonely. Oh, She's no. a crazy old bat, <laughs> as far as everybody, as far as everybody knows. Anyway, so uh, meanwhile, Grace goes back to the auditorium and reads off the cast list. Everybody's waiting to see what they, what parts they got. And Kay is very disappointed to learn that Charity got the lead and not her. And that she and Charity's gonna be the lead at um and Miguel's gonna be her like partner, basically. Yeah, the leading lady lead and man. the leading man. Yeah. And uh so she's really disappointed, of course. And Charity says that she doesn't feel right about taking this part. And then everybody uh, encourages her. She's like, But Kay, you were so much better than I was. But everybody encourages her. It's like, no, you can do it, blah, blah, blah. And she finally says that she'll do it if Kay says it's okay. Such and a mind fuck. That this is such pissed a mind me. fuck. It pissed me the fuck off. Me too. It pissed me off so bad. Can you imagine going to an audition, doing better than the person who got your fucking part mm -hmm. in an audition, and then they turn to you, say to you, I know you did better than I did, and if you want to do this part you can do the part but like no that's not how it works number one and number yeah. two like shut up leave well, me she, alone she put her in a position where she can't actually say anything yeah because it's gonna make her look really bad unless she says no you do it you know like like charity has acknowledged that she is receiving an unearned accolade and telling the other person but you can have it if you want but if you do take it, everyone's going to hate you for it. Yeah. Like she's really, she's really, this is so fucked up. Well, and then Miguel like pressures Kay to give in to charity as well. Yeah. Which was, he's getting on my nerves more and more too. Yeah. I love Miguel, but this whole shit with the way he, again, they're, they're making me, they're trying to make me team K and I hate it. They are trying to make us team K. I hate it. I hate it because I really was like, this is fucked up. I was yeah. so pissed. Yeah. And I think it also hits close to home for us because it's like been yeah. our life up to this point. Yeah. And so he um, gets Kay to relent and say like, no, of course Charity should do it. And then he like hugs Kay and is like, you're so great, Kay. Oh, buddy. Again, just like that last jab of friend. Yeah. Oh, and then we get a replay of the prudence flashback and Tabitha reveals her plan to burn charity at the stake tonight. She says, yeah, charity will be burned at the stake tonight and I will finally be finished with her and the whole standish clan. Yep. 
So uh, Kay, after her disappointment, is out in the hallway, literally banging her head against a wall. <laughs> literally, yeah. And Jessica comes out to gloat. And then Kay says my favorite line of the entire episode, which was, why is everybody always on Charity's side? I hate her. Me too, girl. <laughs> I, I was like, yes, I hate her too. Again, they're trying to get me on, on Kay's side, and I'm still not Team K, but I hate Charity. Yeah, I'm not Team K. I am not Team K, but I'm definitely, like I said, I'm Team Reese. Team Reese. I'm Team Durkee team over Durkee, here. Team Jessica, Team Simone yeah. for now. Team Russell. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't fucks with these, with these Bennett girls. I don't these fuck Spanish with girls. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they bicker a little bit, but who cares? And then Kay goes back into the auditorium and Miguel does that meathead, completely oblivious to Kay's feelings thing where he like thanks her for getting him more time with charity and then calls her buddy. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, friend. You're a, you're a terrific friend, he says. Thanks, buddy. Ugh. And so then everybody's looking at the script and then they notice the scene that Tabitha added which is a scene where Charity's character has to be burned at the stake as a witch. And everyone is against Charity doing this, right? And Well, Charity herself is like, I can't do this. Yeah, this I is crazy. I can't do this. Also, like, what does this scene have to do with Thanksgiving? Right. Like, well, they even say, like, Kay says, Mrs. Crump must have had a bad dream before she rewrote this. This is crazy. <laughs> what does any of this have to do with Thanksgiving? Like, I want to know what the rest of the play is. Right? Like, how do we lead up to this point? It's I a play about the Salem witch trials. It's not a play about Thanksgiving. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. We also need to talk about the flashback. Yes, we need to talk about this flashback. I put it under my miscellaneous notes because it was it just was so non-canon. It, it happened right around this point. So the kids were like trying on costumes with Tabitha and uh, and it caused a, a flashback with her where okay, I Timmy is arguing with Charity's ancestor Prudence. This is back when Tabitha was like being burned at the stake 300 years ago, this little Puritan flashback. And I was like, is this real? Is this a K fantasy? Is this a Timmy fantasy? What is this? Because Miguel is in it. Reese is in it. Jessica's in it. They Grace all, is in it. Everybody's in it. Sam's in, in it. This. Everybody's in it. Because before she goes into the flashback, Tabitha's like, maybe you all were there. And then we get the, it didn't make any sense. And it doesn't, it, it begs the question again, what the fuck are the rules? Like, are these people all reincarnations? Like, of those same people? What? The fuck is going on in this town? Right, right. I I was so confused. Is Timmy was Timmy a real person, and then she recreated him as a doll, or has she been making Timmy dolls over and over and over again? And then when one falls apart, she makes a new one. Yeah, but it can't remember the other. I don't the former know. lives that had like I don't this this flashback threw me, threw me for a loop. Threw me completely again. I didn't even know where to put it. I didn't. I just put it under miscellaneous notes. I literally made a new section of notes just to put it there because it's like I don't know what this means. I I don't know, and it has nothing to do with the rest of this story well, right now. I, well, in a way, it does because while Tabitha is uh, is tied to the stake three hundred years ago, she says, "All of ye shall burn by fire." And I was like, okay, so I guess this is an actual flashback. This is a memory that Tabitha had. And she says, I always make good on my threats, even if it takes 300 years. Yep. Which brings us to them 
300 years, 300 years later, later yeah. tying charity to the stake to burn her on the stage at the auditorium. Yep. So charity, charity again is like worried about doing this part. She goes to go. Everybody says like, no, you shouldn't do this. She goes to go get a soda alone. Um, Miguel wants to go with her, but she's like, no, I think I should go by myself. I need to clear my head. <laughs> so she goes to get a soda alone. And this is when Tabitha follows her and guilts her into doing the part. She's like, I'd hate to see Grace disappointed. So Charity comes back and she says, you know, I'll play the part. And TC reassures her and says, you know, it won't be a real fire, just a light made to look like a fire. So TC's like in charge of the effects, I guess. Right. So they rehearse this play and Tabitha is standing beneath the stage, ready to light Charity on fire. (laughs) And I thought it was important to note this, but it turned out not to be important at all. Because I thought it it was important to say that um, TC is is supposed to be in charge of the effects, but he has to take Reese home because Reese is feeling sick. But then that doesn't come up. Nothing about that comes up. I wrote that down too. Yeah. But TC comes back. TC's there for everything else. Right. There's no reason for them to have given us that detail. Another useless detail. Meanwhile, they leave us in the dark when we have legitimate questions that need to be answered yeah so just as tabitha is about to set charity ablaze (laughs) charity again changes her mind Mm -hmm. and she says like i don't think i can do this so they they take a break from rehearsal so that charity can try and relax now yeah underneath the stage tabitha is throwing a fit and she tells timmy he should have done a better job defending her 300 years ago because then they wouldn't be in this position now. Was Timmy her lawyer? And then Timmy didn't remember it. Was he, he her? Yeah, well, remember he her, was, her, in the flashback, he was her lawyer. Her he Puritan was, attorney? He was like her fucking solicitor, as they would say. Right. He had the, the wig on and everything, the powdered wig and everything. Right. And he says he doesn't know what she's talking about. And then they don't tell us anything <laughs> else. They just move on as if it didn't happen. <laughs> like, that's just it. That's all they give us. It's so ridiculous. It's not enough. It's not even close to being enough. So during this time, um, this little break, Kay takes the opportunity to try to get her part back from charity, right? She has like a thing. She starts to think about that fucking tape that she made. You don't like Miguel. You are afraid of him. And so she gets the bright idea. She goes to her, her backpack, pulls out a tape, puts it into the, uh, a boom box that's sitting on stage. And then it starts playing that Chad song that like, uh, yeah, yeah. song or whatever. And then fucking charity starts to get uncomfortable with Miguel for no reason. She's just like, I don't know, but I'm uncomfortable with you right now. Like, what the fucking fuck? Y'all really bringing this back right now? What the fucking fuck? I'm so fucking mad it about this. It was so weird. It was so... It just, Yeah, it just it just doesn't make sense. But I guess Kay's plan works. You know, one, one step forward for charity, two steps back. This was so stupid. It was so dumb. And so Kay goes to talk to Miguel because her plan has worked. And he's upset because Charity seemed like she was gaining more confidence, but then he got too close to her. And Kay's like, you know, maybe you need to stay away give, and give her a little space until she can figure out what it is that she wants. And he says, well, you won't have to worry because after tonight, I won't come around very much. So it looks like Kay's plan is it's finally working. working. Maybe, but then Tabitha again catches Charity alone. 
and offers her some help with her character. She's like, I know a thing or two about being burned at the stake. <laughs> I'm so stupid. This part also, again, like having, having a lot of experience with memorizing lines and memorizing things. Um, Tabitha was like, this is a, a, a trick that always helped me memorize my lines when I, was a, when I was a young girl. She says, I had to memorize lines like I was preparing them for an exam. What does that mean? Like that's not a tip. Memorizing. Yeah, that's not just a tip. Memori- that's just memorizing. That's that's not helpful in any way. At all. You've but, just defined what memorizing is. But we know Tabitha's not trying to be helpful. Right. <laughs> I was just, I was like, this why? This is ridiculous. And then, so she tries once again to convince Charity to go ahead and do the part. And she guilts her again. And she says, sometimes you just have to let the people down you love and Think about yourself. Because <laughs> she's, yeah. like, she's like, I, I, you know, if it were me, I would turn tail for sure and let everybody down and all these other people be damned because it's all about me. And sometimes yeah. you just got to think about yourself. And I just thought that was so funny. So Charity but, takes the bait. But the reason I brought up the lines and the memorizing thing is because Miguel points out something important. He's like, you know, Charity and her memorization was not an issue until someone brought out the torch. Like, it's not, it's not that she doesn't know what she's supposed to do. She's, there's there's a real fear here. Yeah. You know, and that and that's like the key thing that everyone is worried about, but Miguel is the only person who really points it out. Yeah. Well, Charity after being guilted by Tabitha again decides to go ahead with the part. And then she asks Tabitha of all people to tie her up, to and tie her it, to the stake. And make it look like I can't really move, yeah, she and tells her. And then Tabitha ties her up and says, even Houdini couldn't weasel out of that one. <laughs> so so Charity's like really tied to a stake on this stage. Yes, she is. Okay, this is where it goes haywire. Mm-hmm. So the kids continue with rehearsal on the stage. The adults are nowhere to be seen. Tabitha is underneath of the stage and she's got like this long matchstick like you would use to light a like a light a um, fireplace log and this time she is using it to light the straw surrounding Charity's stake on fire and it catches yeah but it's like kindling like it's just right. barely burning nobody notices that the thing is burning right at all it's pretty ridiculous um, they're going on with this rehearsal and there's smoke coming up from below, even though there's been no cue for any kind of special effects. Nobody's noticing this. Right. It's ridiculous. Except for Charity, who's like, I'm getting warm. Is anybody else feeling flushed? Yeah, and they're like, no. <laughs> Look, and then they're like, no, let's go get sodas. Everybody just leaves Charity on stage. Right. So Tabitha is literally fanning the flames underneath the stage, trying to get this fire burning brighter and hotter. Charity is tied to a stake. Miguel is like, let me go get you a soda if you're feeling a little like thirsty or warm. Kay's like, I'll go with you. Jessica is like, I'm going to go too. Well, Kay says, I'll go with you. And then Miguel looks at Jessica and is like, you come with us too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That way you can get some for everybody. So they leave Charity tied to a stake. To a smoking stake. A smoking stake. Yep. Alone. She is alone. She's alone being burned. Yep. And she, she at this point knows it. Like at, at first she's trying to run lines by herself. And then she's like, something's wrong. And then Miguel heroically, heroically returns and sees that there is an actual fire. Yeah. Well, Tabitha's been under the stage stoking the flames. She's like, it's not catching fast enough. And she's like trying to stoke the flames and everything. And at one point, she talks about setting the great London fire. Yes. 
Yes. Wait, I have that. Where is it? The Great London Fire. And um, and then she says something about the 60s, right? And he's like, oh, the 1660s, because the Great London Fire is 1666, right? Mm. So Timmy says something about the 60s, the 1660s. She's like, no, the 1960s. What was that song? Burn, baby, burn. Oh, I loved it. Burn, baby, burn. I took the notes, but I can't find it. Eh. But yeah, this this whole thing... This whole thing was really interesting because Kay, of all people, was like the first person to notice the, the smell of smoke. Mm-hmm. And then Miguel sees the fire and he starts putting out the flames and then all of the adults burst into the room. Yeah. And Sam tells the girls and tells, tells Grace to like stand back. Grace, of course, bursts into tears. Yeah. This, this is, is like, fucking crazy. This is horrific. Can you imagine? It's horrific. You barely survived a fire. Your sister just died in a fire. Your long lost twin sister, her daughter, your niece, uh, nearly was consumed by the flames herself and is now living with you. And now you have to watch her be burned at the stake alive at the stake. I mean, Oh my God. So the men rush to the stage. Uh, they're trying to untie charity who is struggling and Sam is a fucking rock star, I have to say. Like, he really jumps into action, and I love it. The flames are roaring. Grace runs up with scissors. TC grabs the fire extinguisher. It doesn't work. It's empty. Ta- because Tabitha had sabotaged all of the fire extinguishers. Yeah. She said that. She's like, there's no way they're going to save her. What's done is it's fucking impossible. done, right? It's yeah. crazy. Charity's, this is fucking crazy. Charity's screaming for help. Miguel's trying to cut the ropes. Sam is stomping out the fire, beating it down with his bare hands. Charity is screaming, stand back, save yourselves. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> Sam's like, something must be fanning the flames. And underneath the stage, Tabitha's like, very astute, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> She's such a bitch. I love her. Miguel says, I don't care about myself. Only you, Charity. Kay screams, no, Miguel, no. And I said, this is such high drama. And I am laughing my ass off. I was cracking up. When the flames randomly got like huge. 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 Yeah. I was like, okay, this is crazy. So then Tabitha sees that she has like, she feels confident in the fire that she has set. So she comes into the auditorium to watch the show. Well, they're also like choking on the smoke. Yeah. Like, Timmy's under, like, understage. we got to get out of here. This isn't going to work for me. So they run, they run into the auditorium to observe. Yeah. While she's there though, who shows the fuck up? The angel, the angel <laughs> angels. We have heard on high. Sweetly singing. Blowing out the flames. <laughs> like, she comes and she, like, blows some air across her hands. That's okay. all she does. I thought it was water. Oh, was it water? I wasn't sure what that effect was supposed it to was be. It was blue. I don't it know. It was blue. It was like a light blue. I don't know. She blows. But, um. She does blow, man. When that, she, she blows. She fucking blows. But after she blows, she, like, disappears. And then they manage to untie Charity and then Hank and... TC come through with a water hose and they put out the fire. They pull her off and Tabitha's like, it's too late. She's dead. Like the smoke got her. Yeah. But no, Tabitha actually says, oh dear, the poor girl seems to have expired (laughs) is what she says. That's I have that. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And they're frantically trying to get her to come too, and frantically, frantically. And, um, Sam says, go get the oxygen out of my truck. And he's like, who was holding the torch? 
And they think maybe something happened with the torch. But Kay's like, I was holding the torch, but it wasn't me. I didn't do this on purpose. Look, it wasn't even lit. You can see it. Because for a minute, I'm like, oh, my God. Everyone's going to think Kay did this. Well, and then Sam and TCC, and they're like, no, this right. definitely was never even right. on fire. So then Jessica goes over to Kay and, like, accuses her of having something to do with this fire. And Kay says, are you nuts? I don't want Charity dead. I just don't want her to remember her past. That's all. Yeah. That's all. That's all. I don't want her dead. I don't want her dead. I just want her mind dead. Yeah. And then she goes, I need time to make Miguel fall in love with me. Bitch, your cousin just almost burned at the stake. This is what you're thinking about? This is what's on your mind? See, this is why I can't be Team K. Right. That's why I can't yeah. be Team K. Yeah. And Jessica was right to be very worried that mm -hmm. her sister had something to do with it. Yeah. So anyway, Grace exclaims, please, God. And Tabitha says, too late for prayers, Gracie. <laughs> <laughs> too late for prayers. Tabitha thinks she's home free. She's like, it's done. Charity's dead. It's not. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And then Charity wakes the fuck up. And not only does this bitch wake up, she seems to have her whole memory back. She looks... First at Miguel and says, you saved my life again. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. And, and as soon as Tabitha sees that this is what's happening, it seems that Charity has her memories back. She gets the fuck out of there. She bolts. Yeah, because Miguel looks at Charity and goes, do you remember me saving your life from the fire at that house? And she nods. And Miguel gleefully proclaims charity has her memory back <laughs> oh that's the episode title charity has her memory back charity i don't know we'll memory see. Back. and i was like that's it so one fire memory goes away another fire it comes back so so does grace need to survive a second another fire, fire? like what are wh what are the rules? what are the rules this is so stupid what are the rules yeah so Tabitha gets the fuck out of there. Kay laments that she'll never get Miguel now. She's like, and it's like, who? Again, Charity just almost really died. Yeah, and then, in front of her eyes. Yeah, that was well, terrible. That'd Charity, be horrific. Charity keeps almost dying in front of Kay's eyes. Yeah. So I, we shouldn't be surprised by her yeah. reaction, but it is still shocking every time. Yeah. So outside, the angel appears to Tabitha again and says, this is the end of you, Tabitha. Okay. All right. If you say so, girl. I don't believe you. So that's it. I don't believe you, little angel. Little angel. Sweet little angel. Sweet little angel. All right. So that's the end of this episode. It's a long one. But so much happened. So much happened. We're going to have to start snipping and only, only doing the really important stuff. Yeah. I only took 11 pages of notes this time. And I normally have like 17 pages. I felt like I had done a really good job of editing. And I think I did. I think I did too. I think this was just dense. There was a lot to get through. And you know, they had to deliver because it's the beginning of season two. That's true. This was a good week. It was great. I can't wait to see what comes next. So let's say goodbye now. Remember, you can catch us on our social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok at Passions Podcast. Or you can send us an email you can check out our website. Oh, yeah. Yes. You can yeah. also check out our website and check out the things there. Whatever. It's time to say goodbye. <laughs> I'm tired. It's my birthday. We're going to get fucked up. Yep. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to stay at the apartment because that's the only thing there is to do. We're going we're to do some. I told Laura, she asked me what I wanted for my birthday, and I told her to humor me all day. 
<laughs> All day. So we're going to get into some shenanigans. All right. Here we go. Right, here we go. You are my passion for life. 